Hello out there, and welcome to the first episode of Creative by Craft. My name is Santos, better known to some under my alias Moniverse, and I'm a music producer, DJ, record label founder, and now podcast host from New Jersey. I've been lucky enough to meet a ton of creative people over the years, and after the pandemic, I was thinking of ways to A, reconnect with them, and B, showcase their talent to the world. The podcast is going to be loosely about creativity and feature professionals as well as hobbyists and people who just work creative jobs in otherwise uncreative worlds. I think when it comes to people who are creative or work in creative industries, because of the nature of social media, you only really get to see their output unless they're doing podcasts or interviews. Of course, there are creatives who do share a lot of themselves on social media, but as you'll see in some of these interviews, Many of us share the same sentiment about social media that just doesn't get the point across. In any case, I think a podcast is probably the best way to get to know the person behind an alias or the person writing the words in the book that you're reading. Plus, I just really love sharing what my friends are up to and the amazing work that they're doing. So I do want this show to be as much about each individual creator as it is about creativity in general. For the first episode, I'm interviewing Corey Goldsmith, who is a lead software engineer at Isotope. Even in spite of a few recording issues and a ton of editing that had to be done because I didn't really set things up right, I'm still super happy with this episode, and I think it perfectly represents what I want from this podcast. So thank you for checking this out. If you want to find more episodes, head to creativebycraft.com. Of course, likes and shares and subscriptions are much appreciated. And I'm looking forward to seeing where this podcast takes us. Hope you enjoy the first episode of Creative by Craft, my interview with Corey Goldsmith. Corey, thank you for doing this. Welcome to the uh, Creative by Craft podcast. First episode. First episode. Hey, Santos. Thanks for uh, for having me on the, the debut episode. I'm, I'm really excited <laughs> about this. This is going to be awesome. I like so I reached out to you. I wanted you to be the first guest because I feel like, you know, we we both come from the music production space, but uh like you have such an interesting background. So before we even start, I'd like you to kind of present an overview of what you do and why you do it. Well, thanks, man. Um I'm glad someone considers my background interesting. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I guess you could say it, it is. Um, I'm I'm very lucky to do what I do. I um, so okay. Where should I start? Um, so it's April twelfth, nineteen ninety. My mom is in the hospital. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so <laughs> I, um, I a true uh, storyteller. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Starting from the very beginning. Um, no, but uh, so I, you know music was always a, a big part of my life. Um, you know, speaking of my mom, I mean, she had, and her father and mother, like just basically my mom's side of the family was always very musical. And so I was kind of brought up in, in that environment. And like, I joined like the school band at a very young age and, and did, did that, um, you know, and uh, that continued, you know, I was even in like marching band for a few years in, in college and then also in high school, but, um, always, really wanted to start doing something of my own versus playing in like an organized, you know, like school band thing. Um, so I was in, um, you know, like bands, uh, in high school and college, um, playing guitar. And then later I was playing bass and, and singing. Um, all right. So be, before we go further, just out of curiosity, ever, ever do drums or anything like yeah, that? I was because in drumline and marching band. I knew but it. Yeah. Yeah. Why so is I, it? The people who do techno, I feel like, just have some kind of drum 
background. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense, right? Yeah. Like, uh, I feel like sometimes, um, yeah, it's weird. I, I, we can get into this further later, but I feel like almost my my need for some melodies sometimes hold, holds me back. <laughs> I mean, not entirely, but it's a, it's a it's a learned skill learning to hone in like your melodic content and knowing what's appropriate and what isn't. Yeah, um, super tough for, for the genre. Um, but like, it, it's really useful having like that drumline experience, for instance, because I know how to syncopate rhythms and like do more intricate rhythms, but also because I wasn't like a drummer first and I was more of like uh, a guitar and bass player, it kind of helps me hone in that rhythmic content in the sense that I'm not getting too fancy. Like it's not like I'm going to be doing like five tuplets and a, (laughs) although that could be cool, but like I, I did a song way back, um, like several years ago that had like a, drop that was in six four and which or like three two whatever yeah. you want to count However it as time signature wise <laughs> yeah and exactly and i i noticed that when i was playing it live like people didn't really understand how to dance to it even though it's just two extra beats like <laughs> you're just gonna end up on your left foot the first time and then the right foot the second time but you can still move like i don't know but after that i was like okay maybe i should like tone it down a i was bit. trying to try something different <laughs> but you know maybe i should not like go too crazy and that, i didn't even think that was too crazy but either way there's it seems a, like there's a great meme that's floating around where it's like all music is four four if you just stop counting you, you nerd you stupid nerd yeah. <laughs> i saw it too i love that meme so much yeah no it's good i mean i mean um yeah at all i mean odd numbers when you multiply them by two they're even so like that that works um which you know this this leads in very well into you know um my the next part of my story which is that while i I, I, my band in college um we actually were doing pretty well like we were going on little mini tours in the southeast and 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 stuff like that and they actually got bigger even after i um i left which why did i leave well Well, because i loved counting (laughs) yeah i loved counting way too much i mean and that that is kind of true not the counting part but just math um i was uh i was studying chemistry and math in college at the University of Georgia. Go dogs. I have to give that 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 uh, <laughs> that shout because we're national champions and I've been waiting my whole life for that. But <laughs> moving on. Uh, basically, uh, I fell really in love with what I was doing, which was like physical chemistry and like doing quantum mechanics and math and all this stuff. And I was thinking to myself, OK, I'm in a hardcore band like we're doing well, but it's also not really sustainable. And like, I want to have a family and kids someday. And, you know, funny, funny story is 10 years later, still no family or kids. But at the time, you know, that's what I was thinking. You know, I was young and naive. And um, well, your, and your next choice is to like, you know, get a PhD. Right. So yeah, that was my next <laughs> choice. And not that, like super easy to have work life balance. Right. So it wasn't it was funny because as when I got in. So so yeah, just to exactly say what Santos just said. Like I went to get my PhD in chemical physics and I went to Colorado. And what I noticed, what I noticed when I got there is that, Oh, everyone got like married or in a relationship before they got to grad school because they knew they were going to (laughs) like, like be like, have like no social life. Um, And in a way I kind of threaded the needle there because I had full, I had fully given up on music at that point. I was like, I'm going to be, like a Nobel prize winner 
such an idiot. But the thing is, everyone that comes into grad school, like that's kind of the mindset they have. They're like, I'm going to be the next Einstein. Like I'm going to be the next great (laughs) scientist because, you know, all these people are coming from their colleges and like, you know, they were like big man on campus or big woman on campus at that point. Like, oh, I'm going to get a PhD. I'm like, I'm so cool. But then you go and you're, it's just all those people, right? It's all of the best of the best. Um, And you just all of a sudden feel you go from feeling like super smart to just the dumbest person in the universe, like real quick, like, like that's kind of like the music industry in general too, right? It's like you realize when you're five years in that, okay, not only do you have like the most talented people, but the hardest working and the people with the most resources. And that's your competition. If you think about it that way, which I try not Uh, to. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I've, and I've struggled, I have struggled in the past with it, but I think my grad school experience kind of helped me shift my mindset to competing with myself yes, more yeah. than other people, like just always being better than you were before, yeah. right? Um, because if you think about the people that you're quote unquote competing with, like you're never, all you're going to do is build grudges. You're going to get like what they call producer envy. You're yep. going to get all sorts of things that are unhealthy um, like just mentally. And it's just, it's going to, it doesn't allow you to create and perform at your, your highest, you know, at your, at your best. It's a recipe for Um, burnout. I feel like where it's like 100%. I've realized that to sustain, you know, to just keep coming back to it over, over the long haul is to, to shift from like comparing yourself to external things and just saying, okay, the competition is internal. And really it's just about me getting better. And I think that applies to everything where it's like, whether it's, you know, physics or, or math or software engineering or music, it's really about like turning that focus around so that you can just show up consistently. Otherwise you're just going to, you know, you're going to get real sad real fast. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And it also prevents you from like learning from other people too, because you see people as competitors and not colleagues and people who can help because no one is going, I mean, that's another thing you learn doing science is like what you're studying for like your PhD is like a blip of the knowledge of humanity. Right. And no one can know everything. It's just not our human, the human brain is not evolved to the point where it can take on all information. It never will. Um, Whether we kill ourselves off or not, (laughs) it will never get to that point because I mean, by necessity, we have to create this kind of, knowledge base from everyone i guess if we become a hive mind you know get sci-fi here um then maybe okay then you can you can say it but no i mean that and also um oh man i just had the thought on my mind um but like not actually the 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 thing that i want to say about that is it doesn't it feel like like you have like an instinct to be like oh we should know everything like why don't i know that whenever somebody says like oh you don't listen to this band or listen to this podcast you don't know about this thing and you're like your initial response is to feel like bad about that right but i'm trying to like over time realize like there's no way to know everything and that applies to everything and correct and not only that it leads to people trusting youtube videos for their information and assuming that they can learn everything and that's a whole other effect you know uh, we're not even in the meat of my story yet. And we already have so much to talk about. I mean, uh, this like, is why this is why I wanted you to be the first guest because I was like, I'm honored, yeah. like honestly, like I mean, obviously, like you do, you did chemical physics, and you you mentioned 
you mentioned uh, quantum physics, which, you know, my, mm-hmm. my alias as an artist is Moniverse, right? And yep. I'm the yep. perfect example of that guy who like went on YouTube and was like, let me look into quantum physics. I found this term that just means one universe. And I was like, it, maybe it's a good track title. And, uh, and then it became my artist alias. And I was like, every time I mentioned that in, a, in an interview, it's like, I'm a fraud. I, didn't, I know nothing no, about quantum no. physics. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 I wouldn't consider you a fraud at all. Like, it's a dope <laughs> alias. I love it. Um, it, it I mean, it, you wouldn't be the first person to, for lack of a better term, appropriate a scientific term without being a scientist. <laughs> like, I mean, like, I mean, but also it doesn't matter. Like, you know, you can still understand concepts of science without having a PhD, you know? Um, but there are people who presume to know more than people who have PhDs. And that I think is usually a pretty, it's you know, problematic. Yeah. it's, it's, it's problematic and it, and it, it's re you know, recently kind of led to large problems. And that's not to say that there aren't things to criticize about the scientific community. There 100% are. Um, but if we, criticize the wrong parts of it, then the right parts of it never get criticized and we can't fix those issues. Right. Which we can go into that. Definitely. But just, just (laughs) to kind of like tie up the knot of to get to where I am today. Um, basically, cause you might be saying, Oh, well this guy must be a a world renowned physicist at this point. No, that's absolutely not true. (laughs) Um, and we were talking earlier about like, you know, being able to have a social life with having a PhD. And I realized pretty quickly in like maybe my second year of my doctorate that like giving up on music just like, isn't possible for me. Like I, I missed performing. I missed um, making music and I had started to kind of fiddle around a garage band in college um, because it's nice sometimes to just make music on your own and not have to what I call write music by committee um, <laughs> as much as I loved my bandmates. Yeah. I mean, but it, it is like that, right? Because you can write a part for a song that you just, that just totally expresses how you feel and just has so much emotion. And then it just takes like a few of your bandmates to be like, yeah, I'm not really feeling it. And then that, <laughs> and then you're just like, okay, cool, bro. Like I put my heart and soul into that. And now you're just saying like, oh, it just doesn't work for you. All right, sweet. And then other times it's, it's the opposite where like somebody writes a part and you're not feeling it, but the rest of the band is. So it goes in the song. Oh, for sure. Um, and that's fine. I loved playing with the people I played with and had some of the greatest times of my life doing it. But sometimes you just want full creative control, you know? And um, so I had started producing. I get into grad school. I realize, man, I really wish I was still doing music. So I kind of started leaving, leading like a double life during that time, like producing and DJing by night, like going to shows, waking up super tired the next morning to like do my research which, you know, <laughs> it had its consequences on both ends of the spectrum. Oh, for sure. It had it had an effect on my PhD. It took me six years to do my doctorate, maybe even six and a half years. It usually takes people around five oh or so, God. five or six. About so like, year. you know, I mean, yeah, but <laughs> it, it was worth it. Yeah. It was worth it. I'm just saying that, like, you know, it did take that extra time to live that double life. And also my production was not advancing at the same rate as people who had the time to fully commit to it. Right. Um, And what happened after grad school, which I'll get to in a moment is it started really ramping up because of the extra time I had. And because my job, which I'll get into now was 
related. So I realized like in year three or so of my PhD, like after my, I got grilled in my oral exam, which is basically the point of the oral exam is like, we're going to show you that you're not smart. No, not really. They, they basically show you like, <laughs> Hey, part of being a scientist and the big part of being a scientist is not knowing the answers to things and having to work it through, work it out, right? Like use critical thinking. They basically pick and prod at what you know until they get to a point that you don't know something and watch you try to struggle to figure it out while you're being watched very closely by five accomplished scientists, right? (laughs) So it was a terrible experience. It was awful. awful. It was one of the worst moments of my life. And my boss, my advisor, just totally like, dug into me afterwards like this is all the the stuff you need to do like you're you're just you know flying by on the surface and you need to be digging deeper and you know i mean it was it was it was borderline traumatic um and did you pass is that oh i passed i passed um but i did you know realize that like you know um and throughout it the thing is with science is that the best scientists in the world and in history are the ones that get off on not knowing. And what do I mean by that? It's like when you solve a problem, it's not like, you know, sometimes I used to think like, man, I wish I was just like an architect or like a construction worker because you build something and you're like, oh my God, look at this building. It is beautiful. We did such a great job. Or maybe you didn't do such a great job, but either way, it's (laughs) done. You did it. And it's like, cool, we did it. Great. And you can pat yourself on the back. And in science, it's like, oh, cool. We answered question A. And that now opens questions B, C, D, E, F, G, H, etc. So like you scratch the surface and now you get to dig deeper. And then when you solve that problem, you get to dig even deeper. And I wanted a moment, like just psychologically, like the way my brain works, I wanted to feel proud of something for a moment. And I'm not saying that scientists don't feel proud of, of their work. They absolutely do. But like, you really have to like, love not knowing things. And um, I realized like, I wanted to build things. I wanted to, to be able to take a moment and pat myself on the back and be proud of something that I built instead of being proud of uncovering all of these things. I don't know. Right. Um, and it's just a different mindset It's not, there's not a superior or inferior. We need people who love to solve the unsolvable. Absolutely do. Um, you know, but I realized it's, it's yeah. funny cause you, you mentioned your example is a, you know, an architect, but the grass isn't always greener, right? Because it's like, I, of course. I, I'm going to interview uh, my friend Marcello, who produces as Echo, but he's also an uh, architect by day. And you would think oh, like, okay. Echo? Yeah. yeah. I love that guy. Yeah. yeah. I don't and, know him personally, but I love his music. Yeah. And that's he, cool. he's actually an architect. And uh, oh, that's you, cool. over the pandemic, we were talking about it because I had the same like misconception that like, okay, once you're done with the project, you're done with it. Right. And he's like, no, 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 no. You're, you're done with the design, but then you have to go through all the legalese of getting it built. And you have to work with a team who does all the zoning and all the, you know, all the the different permits that you have to get mm-hmm. for a building, right? So it's like, you know, you think may, there's this like idea of when I'm done with something, I'm going to be done with it, right? And the reality yeah. is, is often that's not the case. And so you do have to kind of learn to enjoy the process, right? So, I mean, absolutely, the grass isn't and always it, it's greener. The same, <laughs> it's the same. It's the same with making music software, as I later learned. Um, However, 
I do think there is a difference with with science in the sense that like you'll never actually know. Like you just you you just basically you know you you it's that's that's what science is. It's like the process of like getting your theories better and better and better and like having more and more knowledge about something. Like we thought we had it all with Newton then with gravity and then Einstein came in and solved gravity and like, et cetera, et cetera. Like you're always just constantly refining and starting to understand the universe better and better. But like your life's work is only- constantly unraveling because of someone exactly. else who's discovering stuff. Exactly. <laughs> and, and it's a great thing and I do love it, but I realized it's not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So I was doing theoretical physics at the time, like computational mm-hmm. physics. I had to pick up C plus plus and like all these programming languages. And I also like, Throughout all of this, like my love of mathematics was the thing that was driving me more than physics, probably, or chemistry. Like it was more, it was more, I just loved doing math. Um, and, and remember kids, I said math, like as in mathematics, not, I love doing math. I love doing math. Um, but, (laughs) uh, there, so anyway, I was like, okay, well, what else can I do if I don't want to go into academia? What, what, what can I do with this skill set? And I was thinking, oh, maybe I could, you know, do music software. That would be kind of cool because um, I'm doing coding. You know, maybe I'll I'll do something like that. And I, you're just a um, glutton for punishment, dude. You just pick like the hardest things that you can do, yeah, and you're like, oh, I guess I'll just I mean, casually do that. I'll just casually you need, do. You need a challenge. I mean, but it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't casual. I mean, I through a, a series of of fortunate events, um, I got linked up with the head of software engineering at. Ableton in Berlin, and I managed to get myself an internship there where I did that. And my, my my advisor at grad school, like my boss, he allowed me to do it um, for like a summer. Um, and it was eye opening, not only that I was totally unqualified to do it <laughs> at, at that point, but also that 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 was the answer. That is what I need to be doing. Like, I just loved every second That's of amazing. it, I thought. And uh, yeah, I'm eternally grateful to um you know, Neil at Ableton. Well, he's not at Ableton anymore, but he was at the time and for giving me that opportunity and everyone I met there and just really fully solidifying like that, that is what I want to do. Um, and so I got my, you know, I got my PhD, which was a big relief, but then I couldn't find a job worth, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, like I was teaching music production lessons part time um, and just, being poor as hell. And I had, I had a doctor, you know, I had PhD. Like, why is it so hard to get a job? I mean, at at a certain point I gave up on the, uh, the idea of making music software. And I just started applying for any software development job ever, because I guess I needed experience in order to get those, um, those music jobs. But then I saw that Isotope was hiring in Boston. I was living in Colorado at the time. Um, and you know, I was like, you know what? Let's go for it. Let, let's see what happens. And uh, thankfully, I, I got that job, uh, which was great because after six months of being basically unemployed and searching for, I mean, it was like a blessing in disguise that I didn't get those jobs outside of music um, because I ended up um, working for Isotope. And I actually was up for, I finally got another bite too while I was interviewing with Isotope, which was with, um, <laughs> yeah, but it was with an accounting firm. Ah. Doing like, because I worked with supercomputers a lot during my PhD and it was running like a supercomputing cluster for them. And they told me straight up in the interview, like, you'll retire by the time you're 40. Wow. And so that's a hard choice at the same time being put up with. You can be rich 
or you can do what you you're passionate about. Mm. Um, and um, for better or for worse, I chose what I'm passionate about. <laughs> Again, and um, just the glutton for punishment. <laughs> I it really is though, man. Like I mean, a part of it is because my dad, um, who's a lawyer. Well, he was a lawyer. He retired recently. Congratulations, dad! If you're listening to this, I love you very much. And <laughs> yay! But he he did he did not like what he did, and he was always preaching to me throughout my life, like do what you love and you'll be able to find a way to live doing it. Like you don't want to do something just for the money because you'll end up, you know, you do, you work for so much of your life, especially here in the U S as you know, like you're almost defined by your job and it's like, you don't want to, to waste that, you know? Um, And anyway, he preached this to me a bunch and it really resonated with me. I was not, I didn't understand how expensive Boston was too. And <laughs> I was not making a lot of money at first. Um, thankfully, you know, I've gotten promotions and et cetera. And now I'm, I'm better, but like, uh, you deserve it, it. thanks man. I appreciate it. As you can see from my lovely one bedroom apartment. Um, but our backgrounds it, are uh, hilarious. It's just like me with the Peloton in the closet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. I got my washer dryer right there. Um, it's the, the East kitchen. coast living, man. It's more expensive. Yeah, East coast. Yeah. It's 10 it by is. 10. It's uh bro. The it's East rough. coast is wild. Like I didn't expect Boston to be like on par with New York. Like I knew New York was hella expensive. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm it's, in it's New it's Jersey close. and it's, it's the same. It's we're like $500 less in rent than Manhattan is pretty much, which is, you know, so absurd. you're basically Boston. Yeah, exactly. Level, it's the same yeah. exact thing living in the suburbs. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's all going to be underwater in a hundred years. Got to get and, land in the far Northeast right now yeah. and then wait for everything to flood and then, and then you're gonna have yeah, you're gonna beachside be, property. Exactly, exactly. That's my plan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that's good, man. That's good. It's good to have a future plan. Uh, but yeah, I mean, okay. Basically, I've worked for Isotope now. I got to be the tech lead on Neutron Four that came out recently. I love my my day to day. I love my job. It's been a crazy journey, and yeah, just to tie that thread up, um, you know. It's pretty wild. And I, I basically my PhD now just serves to, um, well, aside from everything I learned, which mainly was how to think critically and uh, figure things out. Um, it's been mainly just to make jokes um, like um, if someone says something ridiculous at a party, I can just be like, oh, no, that's that's true. Trust me, I'm a doctor. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I like stuff like that. It's it, it's an endless uh, thing of fun to brag about. Um, you know, <laughs> Dr. Corey Goldsmith, you know, like it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a dope thing. Yeah, I w- I'm um, going to tell my girlfriend to, to use that actually, because a uh, similar story where, so she's a doctor of physical therapy. I, I, she nice. should have, she should have been an MD, but she had that same. Hey, physical therapy is hella important. Yeah. And she, and she works at, uh, at Kessler and does uh spinal cord injury and it's super interesting oh and super depressing. And, uh, she's oh, incredible. Bet. And, she also like I feel like should have went Santos's girl. <laughs> but my my point well was going to be yeah killed it on the Peloton in the background every day. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Killing so it. she I always told her like she should have been a, a medical doctor because uh, she's one of the smartest people that I've ever met. And and her thing was you know she really wanted work life balance uh, with yeah. which is you know at that level impossible if you're going to be a yeah. PhD or MD uh, you know and even with as a doctor of physical therapy it's difficult. And so I'm going to tell her to, to use that at parties. But uh, I think, 
you know, there, there's, there's something to be said about maybe it's the personality type and it's the, the driven people in the world who are just attracted to these really high level things and they're masochists in that, in that sense where it's like, we're going to sacrifice, uh, you know, our, our social lives. Health. Yeah. Our health. <laughs> we could, we could really get into that. Uh, cause I, I did that for a long time, uh, doing the music stuff. I was one of those lucky people who, all right. So you, you, uh, you said it took you six years to get your PhD. It took me six years to get my bachelor's essentially, because, uh, mm-hmm. the entire time I was really putting it, putting in the work with music. I started to tour a little bit here and there. And I said, yeah. you know, I, I'm not gonna, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna prioritize music for a little bit. And I was lucky enough to do that. And, uh, again, the same people who are attracted to, you know, PhDs or whatever end up being in the music industry. And that is your, you know, those are the people that you're going up against, but I was lucky enough to do that for a while. And then the, uh, the, the pandemic hit and, uh, I, I actually went the opposite route of like, you know, um, <laughs> like, let me di- like double down on, on this music thing. I said, I'm, I'm going to step away from it for a little bit. And I started working at, at this is completely, this is going to be the first time I'm going to like say this publicly because I haven't really told people as an artist what I'm doing for full-time work. But uh, mm-hmm. I started working, my, my girlfriend's family runs a funeral home in New Jersey. And oh, wow. uh, I started working there just doing like bullshit work uh, as a courier as the pan- pandemic started. And her brother was like, uh, do you want to work on the international shipping team? Which I for debated for like a month. Wait. Yeah. So we'll, what? we'll get into this. You can, yeah, <laughs> I'm very, I'm very interested. I didn't know that funeral homes had international Most of the, shipping Most of them don't. And uh, so that, that's what I was doing as a courier. There was pushing paperwork at like consulates uh, to get, per, you know, person oh, wow. from person X from A to B. And uh, so her brother was like, Hey, you've kind of learned uh, here. We need somebody else to do the shipping stuff. Uh, and so I've been uh, <laughs> doing international shipping logistics at a funeral home since the, uh, you know, for about a year and a half now, uh, full time, which it doesn't sound appealing, but I've actually found it super interesting. And it's actually stepping away from the music industry was it gave me a, a like a stronger insight as to what I want to do with the music stuff. That's great. And it also I'm very type B as a person, like I'm super unorganized and very creative in a sense, but mm-hmm. I'm not analytical at all and I'm not organized. And so this job is, Hey man, you do logistics. So like, that's... it, I learned real quick uh, that yep. I have to kind of like shift my brain. And I, I, I even told her brother, I was like, I don't think that's in my skill set. And uh, he's like, well, we'll figure it out, you know? And it's actually kind of mm-hmm. changed how I look at things and how I organize myself how I step into something like I'm starting this podcast and now I'm looking at data and I have spreadsheets already. I have, this is my first episode and I've got spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, uh, not doing what I'm passionate about for a day job. Like in a sense, it's not music, but it's made me more passionate about stuff about other things and in a different way that I don't think I would have been had I just doubled down during the pandemic on music. Like a lot of my friends. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's important to, to mention this because there's two things I take away from that or just things that, you know, it's kind of like the converse of something I experience where I work on developing like plugins all day. Uh, so I constantly have, you know, isotope plugins and like Ableton open during the day. And on one hand, you might, if you're a music producer, you sit at home and you're like, oh my God, that's like amazing. You get to like, you know, work on the things that you use as a music producer. You get to have like, you know, 
you know, plugins up all day and your DAW open, that, that sounds fantastic. But then you get off at the end of the day and you're, you're, you like, that's your time to, to be creative and make music. Right. And you're like, God, if I have to see Ableton's UI one more time today, I'm going to kill someone, you know, like it's like, there is this, this great thing about being able to separate what you love from what you do for work. Right. There's also an amazing amount of benefits from it too. Like, don't get me wrong. I love my life or like my job at least, but, uh, um, but like, no, it's, it's great when you can step away from it and, and have an outsider's view looking in because it does help you, um, kind of, you know, reshift your mind on how you think about things, which is, which is great. I can only imagine that. I mean, that's part of why I recently took a, like a holiday for a long time, just to, after Neutron 4, I was so burnt out and I needed to refocus and actually like enjoy, like I, I was on a, in a musical rut too. And it helped mm. so much. I feel um, like I found like, like, yeah, go for it. Engineers. I feel like I, I feel like, especially I know so many software engineers who do music and I can't like imagine just like staring at a computer screen all day doing like exercising that part of your brain because engineering by craft is creative, right? So you're not just doing mm-hmm. analytical stuff. You're, you are using no. that like creative side of your, of your brain. And that's gotta be super rough to like, be like, okay, I just put in 12 hours of engineering work, software engineering, and now I'm going to sit down in front of Ableton. Yeah. And so I totally get it, dude, because like, I, I don't know what amount of time I would need off after creating a plugin like that, but it would be serious. I'd need like like two weeks on a beach just to relax yep. my brain probably. For me, it was a road trip to Canada. Nice. And it was great. I mean, and sometimes it does work in your benefit. Like you found something cool, like some effect or some sort of automation or something while you were testing some, some of your code. And uh you're like, oh, I can't wait to try that mm. when I get off on like something of mine. Um, and it does, it does work sometimes. Like, sometimes you're just, you're, you're just more motivated, but most of the time it's like, okay, I need to like not look at audio or listen to audio for the rest of the day. Um, <laughs> yeah, it just, it, it works like that sometimes, but the amount of, and also in particular with Neutron 4, like that was my first time being a technical lead on a big project. So That's like massive, dude, you sh- it was, thanks, man. I mean, I'm, I'm really happy with it. It was it was an awesome time. I had like the best team, too. So that really helped. But usually when I'm developing plugins, I have a lot of time to test them and like on my own projects and like participate in the beta more or less. I mean, I'm not actually participating in it. I'm just using them. But this time, because like the the overhead of being technical lead, I didn't have as much time as I wanted to actually use Mm. it on my own stuff until we were done. And then afterwards, I mean, it just had the moment to be like so freaking proud of us because it was really incredible to use some of the features I hadn't had as much time with and just, I already knew how it all worked, but like actually getting to use it was really, really satisfying. And, um, can, can we you know. can we can we get into like what is the what is a high level overview of like developing something like that look like because like in my head I'm like I Good use question. I'll use the finished product for Isotope products so I'm like I I can't even fathom the amount of work that has gone into this because they work so well that like they're so detailed and I can't like what you're the tech lead on the, on this on this plugin where do you even start like. <laughs> 
brainstorming. I mean, like that's what we're doing for the next project right now, which I won't say what that is because NDAs and all that. Oh, yeah. But um, we're actually in that stage now where we're we're brainstorming ideas, and usually that's driven by the project manager. If you're in software, you're well aware of who project managers or, or product owners are, um, or sorry, product managers. Project manager is a different thing too, but. Regardless, um, product managers, they kind of do the research into the field and see like what it is that people want. Yeah, or a lot of what, customer feedback, I'm sure, goes into that where they're exactly. like, We're, on our last plugin, we got X amount of people requesting this feature and now we should make yep. a standalone plugin for that or whatever yep. it might be. Stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Or what is it that we're missing that not even people like, like what are people saying, uh, you know, sort of on a high level what what can we do to solve that problem? Like, here's the problem statement that users are having. How do we create something innovative that will solve that problem for our users? And it's, you know, I used to think of myself as a user, like, because I, I mean, I use our plugins, I produce, you know, uh, what are my problems? Like, you know, what what can I solve? And that's something you have to really get away from quickly. I had one of my, uh, my colleagues told me at one point, he's like, look, Corey, you use our products, but you are not a user. You know, like you, you, as soon as you wrote a line of code for us, you were no longer a user because you have too much knowledge of what's going on. You have to kind of separate yourself from it. That being said, I still heavily like to lean on things that I know myself would love, but that's, that's also just passion and like part of it, you know, and like part of enjoying the job. It's kind of like music in general where it's like, if you know what resonates with you, like it should resonate with some amount of the pop general populace. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, But anyway, okay. So back to your question, you know, what goes into it? So we start brainstorming and then we have to try and figure out, you know, how do we solve these problems? What is within our technical capability within the timeline? That's the thing that, that usually is the most annoying because there's, you know, any, we could all pretty much everything is possible when it comes to solving audio problems. Um, But it's how much time do you have to Mm. solve it? Right. There's deadlines. It's just like the gaming industry or the gaming industry is like the epitome of toxic timelines. Um, <laughs> it's it's really known for like really strict deadlines and um, really bad crunch time, which is like towards the end. Like these developers are not like sleeping. Or, yeah. Just I've never all, worked in the gaming industry. Yeah, but I just hear a lot about that. And it, when I first joined Isotope, it was a little bit worse than it is now. Now we've gotten a lot better at at um, at managing you know, expectations and timelines and stuff like that. Should but, talk to what's his name from uh, Eleven, who works, I think, for Blizzard now. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I uh, didn't know that. That's one half cool. of them, not SNR. Um, blanking on his name, and if the, if he sees this, he's gonna hate me because I love that guy. But uh, <laughs> they're uh, Nordic, right? Or from? No, they're uh, they're um they're from the West Coast. Uh, Sky is his really? other alias. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I was thinking of the Blizzard. The Blizzard, yeah. First. No, sorry. Yeah, not 11, Blizzard, the gaming 11 company. With yeah, two Eleven with yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, on Ruben Duran's record yep, yep, label. Yep, yep. And, yeah, that's and Juna. West Coast, yeah. But uh, he, yeah, he works at yep. Blizzard, and I can't imagine, like... That's sick. How, also, how do you guys balance creating things out? Like, if you work such an intensive job like that, and it's the same thing for you, it's like, how do you even manage to come home and you're like, I'm going to make techno now because... That again, glutton for punishment, where it's like 
You're not doing yeah. something that's easy. That's another art form in itself. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is. And sometimes you just feel more motivated than others. And also sometimes I like specifically have to say like, okay, this Saturday or this Sunday, I'm going to spend making music. And sometimes you stick to it and sometimes you don't. Because as you very well know, um, from your own experience producing, it's like some days it's just not working. Yeah. You know, like and and you can use that time productively still by like maybe sound designing or or, you know, creating something that could be cool when you're feeling more creative or whatever. But and, and you know, I try to do that when I'm when the ideas that I'm coming up with just aren't sticking like it used to be you would just finish tracks to finish tracks. And now it's like, OK, well, if you're trying to progress with your career, if it's not hitting, like if you're not getting goosebumps from the track you're creating, like it's probably not going to. Like, why would a label pick it yeah. up if if it's not your best work or like some of your best work? It's funny. Um, I, I kind of know. I mean, I don't know how many hours into a project, but it kind of my, my best work has been the ones that I'm, I've done in like two two sessions where it's like, yep. I know if I'm 100 if I'm if I'm really grinding on something, it's been like, you know, two months. I'm like I'm trying to make it work. It's like it's, it's not working. And it's not going to work. You kind of learn that from experience, I think. And I'm a little bit too relaxed with it now where it's like, I don't put in the time with the project because I'm like, ah, I'm trying too hard on this sometimes. Yeah. But how's your experience? I, I feel like just a small, like in the terms I, I, I do. I feel like if the majority of the track isn't done within those two sessions, then it's probably like, if you're not just vibing and feeling it and like you have like that, 85 to 90 to 95% of the track, at least the idea done within like a day or two, it's probably not going to get there. Now it might take you a month or two to finish that last 10 to 5% because it's like, you know, all these nitpicky things. (laughs) Yeah. And you're also sending it out for feedback and people are giving you feedback and you're like, okay, actually that's a pretty good idea. Um, But yeah, it's always that last little bit that takes forever. But if you're not feeling the idea after you know, the first two sessions, first one or two sessions with it, like it's most almost l- certainly not going to be a good tune. Yeah. Not, not like it'll be fine, but it won't be good. Yeah. Right. There, and there's um, a, there's something to be said for like, I think there's an experience you can have where you can finish that track and you can say it is what it is. It's not my best work. I don't have to release it. There's a, there, there is good experience in taking that like yes. five out of 10 project and just being like, I'm going to see it through to the end even though I know it's not quality because you're, Oh, it's you're great, great experience, it. a great practice, but yeah. not, and that's something that I learned over time too, is not everything that you make has to be something that you release. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, the, the creator of, uh, Rick and Morty, uh, uh, Dan Harmon, Dan Harmon. Yeah. He, uh, he has, you know, every time in an interview, they're like, how do you deal with writer's block or whatever? He's like, I just grind through it and make more mm-hmm. and more and more and more. And not everything is going to be good but you get the experience of making more and more and more. And then by the time you've done that 20,000 times, at least like two of them are going to be great, whatever it is that you're doing. Oh, yeah. So, and I mean, you're getting, Oh, oh God, God, finishing. I was just going to say, you're getting, still getting better at mixing. You're getting better at sound design. You're getting better at just using your DAW and your workflow. Like there's so much to gain from working on stuff that you don't release or just stuff in different genres yeah, that that's you big. will never try to like, like, actually do well with those genres but you still make it anyways just to like unlock that creative juice and i mean it's the best hobby in the world making music i really truly believe that it is 
the most satisfying and frustrating, but mostly satisfying <laughs> thing like ever. Right. Um, and the more you do of it, the better you're just going to get at it. Um, I, I wonder, I wonder what your experience with music is like, because like for me, I, I didn't have any musical background whatsoever growing up. Um, I didn't really get into music until I started producing it essentially because I got into listening to electronic music at like 14 mm-hmm eventually started DJing. And then I was like, well, DJing is easy and I can do that. And I have more, more to offer. So I got into production and then I used to be that guy who was like, I don't know if you didn't make X, Y, and Z, you didn't fit into this thing, then that's like a bad mm-hmm. look or whatever. Right. So, and then eventually I kind of realized I'm like, Oh, music production is really hard. And even if you make pop music, there's a certain art to that. And it like, dude, I have a newfound respect for people who did like, if you do hip hop and you make that music, it's, that's incredible to me. And so I wonder, like you have this huge musical background where what, what's your experience like with different genres and making different kinds of music. And now you do electronic music. Like, do you have that kind of like techno snobby approach to things? Or do you like, I, I can't imagine that you do, but that a lot of people do where they're like, Oh, if it, if it's not a certain kind of techno, then I hate it. And it's the worst thing in the world, essentially. Yeah. I mean, it's the dude, I could, I could talk the rest of our time (laughs) about this particular topic. Um, It's very near and dear to my heart. And it's something that I'm constantly struggling with as uh, like from branding myself, because, you know, I love trance music, not so modern stuff, except for like progressive. I do like where progressive has gone uh, as of late. But like, yeah. you know, I've always had this melodic side to me. And some of that's from my melodic, like my my background with, you know, my my music education. And it's also just like, you know, the the emotional side of things that comes from. I mean, it's not you don't have to have melody to have emotion, but um, I do love that stuff. And it's it's really hard sometimes to be able to box yourself in to fit a certain because no one no one's going to sign it. If it's like if you write a trance song and call it techno mm. and you're seeing a lot of that nowadays. Um, I mean, you yeah. have this. I mean, the, me and my friend uh, Stephen Kirkwood, who actually released on Parallels, right? At some point um, with um, yeah. Maverick. Love that guy. He's incredible. He's one of the best out there in the game. For all of those who are listening there, and if you haven't listened to Stephen Kirkwood, this is going to be my my uh, my pitch for for my boy, who I'm going to see in a few weeks. Actually, I'm going to Scotland, but like, uh, (laughs) uh, listen listen to this man's music. He is on another level, and he is so underrated. But regardless, um, yeah, yeah. plus one. Uh, Steven also one of the most helpful dudes and like just so much energy, so much creativity. Like yes. I have so hey. much respect for that guy. And I, I met, I, I got the chance to, to meet him once and, and I, in I should say Ibiza, Ibiza, right? Ibiza. And, uh, <laughs> you want to be super Spanish I, about Ibiza. it. Yeah. yeah. Ibiza. Yeah. So, and, and I met him in, the, in a nightclub real quick and I was like, wow, I, the, the accent, I just, I can't understand you. I, like, <laughs> I, I wanted to be like, I love you, dude. You're you're awesome. I have no idea what you're saying uh, right now, but you uh, he's it. such an incredible we, producer. We 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 played Xbox together a lot uh, over the pandemic, and uh, you, you get used to the to the Scottish accent. I mean, I also I I I you know me and him are really close, and and same with uh, um, his friend Stephen Galoni, the other Stephen. They they're business partners, and both of them are like some yeah. of my best friends now. And at a certain point, you do. St- but when That's they go awesome. super Scottish. It, it doesn't matter how close yeah. I am with them, how much I've <laughs> talked to them. Like if they want me 
to not understand them, they can go that extra mile to make sure I don't understand them with like all the patter and, and, and stuff. But maybe, maybe one day I'll have them both on the podcast and people could just watch me struggle. They have so much to understand, them, but they but can uh, also, they can also, they know how to tone it down so that people can understand them. Yeah. But yeah. When you speak to enough slow Americans, that right, like, right, uh, we right. got to scale this back. And they watch, they watch American <laughs> TV, all that. They know how to, but, but yeah. regardless, basically what I was getting at is me and Steven have been like, just, wishing for so long because we've always kind of loved to sit in this kind of techno trance middle ground realm and it was always like oh this is too trancey for the techno people or too techno-y for the trance people and it's it, it is kind of aligning right now where where and it has been for the last couple of years where the techno is starting to sound really trancey and the trance is starting to sound yeah. really techy or so they think sometimes, but regardless, like, uh, and it's, the, it's the same on the other <laughs> side too, but it's like the differences. And you kind of mentioned it is, is this techno purism where if it's labeled as tra- like, there are those people who are be like, okay, this is trance. This isn't techno. People are just calling it techno. And like, I don't even want to give it a chance. And yeah. that's, you don't really see that from the trans community. They're just kind of like, cool yeah like i like this um and then you just have techno <laughs> fans being like oh they think they like techno but they don't like actually know techno um and it, it's this it's this fun thing but as a producer you really have to navigate through that right because if you want a techno label to sign it you do have to make sure that it's the right amount of transiness not like oh this is too melodic or or now you have the business techno label so, you know, you have to kind of try and navigate away from that or unless that's really like your niche and you want to go for that. Um, but at the end of the day, you just want to make good music, right? So sometimes you let yourself get carried away just for the sake of ha- having more enjoyment in the studio and you wait until you get that feedback where it's like, okay, man, like this is cool, but like you have like a one minute trance breakdown in this. This is never going to work, you know? Um, and you're like, okay, fair enough. Like I'll save that breakdown for a different project and and just and make this one techno. And that, that's sometimes when that first or second impression that we were talking about earlier, like you can take the good bits and pieces from a track or take two bits and pieces and make two different tracks. Like it can work. I'm not, I don't want to say that like you should give up if, you're not feeling it after the first session. Like that's 100% not always true. Right. But um, it is a, it is a a tough like needle to thread or yeah, that's, that's the phrase. Right. Um, And yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think like there's a certain expertise too, because like, I don't know, you, you see a lot of people who like they'll copy a certain style of an artist on X Mm -hmm. label who has done this, who has like kind of threaded that needle and, you know, merged two different styles or different genres. And now they're representative of that style on that label. And then you get people who are like, Oh, I'm going to do that. And I'll be the next guy on that label. You see this a lot with like Andrew beats and Andrew deep where it's like, you know, Yato does this thing and therefore I'm going to be the next Yato, which is not always the right move. It's never the right move. Crafted out this unique. In my opinion. I mean, it's good to, it's it's good to to kind of mimic yes. to learn, right? But when it comes to like developing a, a, a career, you don't want to be the next Yato because how many people, how much room is there at that table to how many seats are there to feed that person, yeah. right? It's like there's one Yato and a million try, like a million people trying to copy him, yeah. essentially. And so it's a good way to learn, but maybe not the best route as an artist to be like, I'm gonna try to get that. Yeah, I mean, there. you want to be the first you. 
And I mean, like, that's what they always say. But I mean, this is also a difficult problem, too, though, because if you stray too far away, I mean, there are people who are so big that they can do whatever they want and they'll get signed. And that's fine. I mean, you've earned it at that point. But there is it's once again, it's threading that needle. It's like, how much you can you be like it used to be for me? My my thing was like, oh, I make techno with a trancy twist. Well, sorry, that's not unique anymore. Like. And that that's one of the things like I was saying when I took this road trip to Canada, like I needed to figure out what how I was going to use my taste to be more unique than just like making techno that has melodic aspects to it, because I'm nowhere close to the to the only person or even like the hundredth person doing that right now. It's it's, it's done, you know, like I met I missed the mark there, you know, like I, I didn't I didn't peak at the right time. Right. So it's really but but at the same time, it's like. No one, I kind of use this analogy sometimes where it's like, if you look at like your iTunes library or Spotify or whatever music like library you have, no one has the same identical music library. Like nobody has exactly the same taste. We're yeah. unique in that regard as humans. Um, and th- therefore, you everyone has their own unique perspective on music. It's one of the greatest things about music, to be honest. Um, there is overlap, obviously, or else you wouldn't have like fan bases but um sometimes it helps just listen to some of the stuff that isn't what you make like if you you know i i used to listen to a lot of hardcore and like indie rock and like emo bands and stuff and sometimes i'll just take the day to listen to like metal and or or just like old like stuff i used to cry my eyes out to over like a girl that broke my heart when i was a teenager or whatever um You sound like me. My my girlfriend makes fun of me because I have a I have a playlist on Spotify called like feels I have feels good man and then That's feels great, sad man. man where it's just all my favorite sad songs and so one day you know I'll take a Sunday where it's like I'll just listen to all of them and kind of remind myself that. You know, uh, you know how to be. You know, sad. I like that you did feel <laughs> sad, man, because that's way more creative than my playlist, which is just sad on all under all lowercase. Like, there's <laughs> like I just like these are my sad songs, and like when I need to feel sad, like this is my go-to playlist for for feeling that sad. Is, that's such a like a like an engineer move because it's like uh, you know it's like the metadata tag where it's like yeah. <laughs> what is this genre? It's, it's sad. sad. That's that is what, what it is. is. Yeah. And like, you know, sometimes you need that. You need that emotional release sometimes. And and also you just need to like remind yourself what are your influences. It's not just dance music. I mean, it might be just dance music, and in which case, like, that's awesome. That means that you are just so active and like just love it. And that's great. But you know, for some people it's not always about dance music and there are other inspirations you can take in and throw into your music. And so if you just one day go into the studio and don't reference anything, don't try to be anything, don't follow any rules, you'll see that you can make unique stuff that no one else would be able to come up with. And it's just about how to make that accessible enough for it to be brandable or marketable or picked up by a label. And that's hard. That's not an easy thing to do. Super hard. But I think maybe because, man, that's what I'm trying to do now. And I, since the pandemic happened, I've realized like I used to do a very like cookie cutter niche. I don't know, man. I've always enjoyed your music. I think it's, it's pretty unique. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I, I don't think I fit like in a specific space, but I definitely like recognize that like once I operated within a certain space that I was like setting limitations mm-hmm. on myself. And now I'm trying to like listen to more music. Like, I don't know, like stuff like underworld and orbital mm. where it's like, okay, this is electronic orbital, music, but it's man, not, yes. 
I don't think they go into the studio and they're like, yeah, I'm just going to make like for mm-hmm. the floor techno mm-hmm. or whatever. It's like, it's very open-ended. And so it's like guys like that. And like, uh, John Hopkins, oh for, my God. For instance, I love like, John Hopkins. Yeah. 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 I, hopefully one day I'll get to interview him. He's a super nice guy. He heard a bootleg of, of that I did of, uh, lights and veins. And he was like, Hey, can I, can I use like the, the arpeggio that you did? And uh, he was like super cool over, you That's know, awesome. message, which by for me, I was, I, I, you know, if he ever sees this, like I, I can't, I can't even tell him how much that meant to me because like that he's such an inspiration. He's so incredible. He's and one of those pioneers who for electronic music, you can't like really pigeonhole him. He just is John Hopkins. And it's like, that's that, that line that you have to like walk as an artist where, how do you get to that level of production skill where you can take any idea that you have and a label will pick it up and it sounds like nothing right. else except for you. And that that's an incredible lifelong skill journey. and it's a lifetime lifelong journey. And I think you could get really distracted from that in the, in the music industry because everybody wants to put their form of whatever it is on you because you start doing a certain thing and the managers will tell you like, Oh, well, you know, you got to be on X label to be books mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And everybody's pushing their biases on you. Fans included where they're like, you know, if you're doing trance and you try to do techno and then, you know, you're going to piss off a lot of I mean, people. fans, especially and, I, I yeah. could go off on a, on a thing about that, about the trance industry. Maybe we'll get to that in a little bit. I'll let you finish your <laughs> thought though. But uh, well, I think that was probably going to be my next thought is like, man, I wish people were more open minded, which I get why that they are that way. Right. And I used to be when mm-hmm. I was younger, I used to be like, well, trance is trance. When I was like 17, I was like, uplifting trance is the only trance yeah. that there could be. And now I'm old and slow and I'm like listening to Ingenuity. But I'm like, oh, man, trance is just a feeling, bro. Like I start a project that it's like 120 BPM. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't matter. And like. I get why people are so attached to a certain thing. They want to be, they want to be part of something, right? But yeah, and they have memories they tied to it, you know. So yeah. it means more to yeah. them because they have these, you know. I always say that like late two thousands, early twenty tens trance was like the heyday, especially with progressive and and um, you know. But I also realized that was like me coming of age as well. So of course, I'm kind of tied yeah. to it, you know. That's good for you to realize because I think, you know, you have to kind of step away and realize like, okay, I have like my brain was forming and it formed memories Mm -hmm. to a certain thing. I feel very much that way about like certain punk rock where it's like, I'll listen to like Newfound Glory and the Atari. Brand new. Like that, that, like that would always send me into, uh, (laughs) send me into a tailspin for the day where I'm like, this is, this is all I'm going to listen to because my brain just associates certain things with it. And it, maybe as an artist, you don't really think about that when you're making stuff, but you can kind of like, I can remember gigs where it's like, wow, yep. that was such a special memory. Like Denver for me, when I played uh, a show, it's one my of my favorite smaller, ground. like, yeah, the, uh, the, I played the side room at beta and it was sold out. Like Adam did a great job promoting yeah. it, Adam Stark. And, uh, like I came in with no expectation of anything. And I was like, that was one of my favorite nights I've ever played. And it was like such a certain memory that now I like go into mm-hmm. shows where I'm like disappointed because it wasn't that awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you could kind of see like how people get so attached to Denver is special related though. to music. Like, and my yeah. heart will always part of my heart will always belong there. If it wasn't for that scene, I don't know if I ever would have gotten through grad school. 
And I don't know if I ever mm. would have been on the trajectory I am now. And I know Adam will be super happy to hear you say that because he does pour his heart <laughs> and soul into those sorts of things. Like, even though now he's he getting does. a little bit away from it because of his own success. And that's great. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a special scene. If anyone is listening to this and has not been to Denver and is a music fan, do it. You'll have a great time. There's just so much. Definitely. It's like a hidden jewel in the U S as far as the music scene is concerned. Um, makes me happy to hear you say that. Cause like I said, part of my heart belongs to the Denver scene and, um, some of my favorite memories oh, are yeah, from there same, as well. Same here, dude. Like shout out to, uh, you know, uh, the electronic music community, like in Denver yeah. who just have this super special energy experience yeah. there. Yeah. It, it, that happens with certain places where it's like, they're kind of, you know, they're not the major mm-hmm. metropolitan city on that side. Right. But they have this very awesome, crew of people who do things and they bring mm-hmm. the right people. And I, that's also something like I'm starting this new like record label yep. and congratulations, man. Again. I saw that. I'm so bummed. I'm Thank not going to make this New York party because you also have collide the sky playing and those are my boys. Yeah. And Apollo Nash. Shout, shout out, out to, to them dudes. or him as well. Like that's, that's going to be a cool, <laughs> cool gig, but I'll be in Europe, unfortunately. But yeah, congratulations, man. I'm really excited Working. about that for you. Congrats on Thanks. going to Europe oh, and yeah, working cool. your dream job. Thanks, man. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And, it, you know, that that's something that I haven't thought about in a long time, too, is like, how do I curate that experience for people and like building that community, right? Because like in New York, it's like so high stakes that it's like, it's different kind of like bringing people together. And I think as an artist, it's a worthwhile experience to uh, kind of like throw parties and kind of do the, I'm trying to replicate some of what Adam did mm-hmm. in Denver in New York. How do I make that special? And it's something that you don't think about as an artist because like sometimes you just get booked for a yeah. show and you're like, oh, that was an awesome show. But you don't think like who put the work in to make yeah. this happen? And it's uh, it's incredible, incredible that that even happened in the first place. And how do you build that as an artist and how do I respect that for, for my performance? Yeah. I just like realized early on that that was not in my skill (laughs) set. It's so like, I haven't, I mean, amongst the, (laughs) you know, yeah, it just, but like, I try to support the people that do those things as much as possible. Like my friend, um, Saad Ayub, who's in Toronto, he's been doing this whole techno without borders sort of show, uh, series. And I've, gotten to play it a couple of times, very appreciative of that. But I also have tried to support him as much as I can in any way, as far as throwing those events, because he's trying to do it like all around the world. And um, yeah. it's a lot of effort. And I've seen a lot of stress that goes into it for him. And it's just like, it's there's just a lot of respect into trying to form those communities. And, and you know, because at the end of the day, you're not really doing it for yourself. Like, yeah, you want to play shows and stuff like that. But it, it, it's not about that. It's about like giving people a good memorable time you know and that's that's not easy to do i think you know a lot of people don't realize how much effort that can take and even for me starting up these new projects and you know i i can imagine for everybody else where it's like (laughs) just getting started is daunting right and then you you're gonna the first like year that you do anything and it's the same thing with this podcast it's the same thing with music. It's the same thing with building uh, like a promote promotional subscription list for parties or whatever. And you're, you're a promoter. And it's like the, the first six to 12 months are going to be just like, it's a loss. Like it's a, but it's that, it's that kind of like uh, it's just like that interest over time that 
like just multiplies it, right? So it's like the first 100 people are really difficult to get involved, but you know, 100 to 500, that's actually less of a leap. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, because you've learned and you've kind of figured out and you've tweaked, but it's just kind of figuring out, you know, how do I go back and just do it every day and do it consistently and just start and figure out where I'm going to go. That's applicable to just like music Mm -hmm. and I'm sure engineering too, where it's like, you don't always, you know, realize what you're saying that you want to do. It's a really, yeah. I mean, like with engineering, like especially with making plugins is cool because like, you know, when, when Neutron 4 came out, because, you know, like I said, it was a big thing for me because of my first time as a tech lead and stuff. But I do this with all the products I work on is where like it gets released and I'm just constantly refreshing YouTube and like Google and trying to see what people are saying about it. And it's also fun being like part of Isotope because like Isotope has more reach than anything I've ever made like on my own. Right. So it's cool to be like, Oh my God, like all these people are talking about something I made and it, it. You know, it's not, you know uh, you know, it's not like my musical endeavors. Like it always feels cool when, you know, like when I got cosmic gate support, for instance, like I, that was a really cool moment. Cause I've been listening to them for so long um, and stuff like that is really cool. But with, it's like a whole nother level with the plugins because so many people are that I look up to are using it and are reviewing it and like all these things. And you just, you, you realize the kind of the impact that you're making with that sort of work. And with science, just going back to that, you're basically, you're making a large impact without anyone recognizing it or, and sometimes you don't (laughs) even know it until um, you're dead, like painters or whatever, you know? And, and I think that maybe it's just, maybe it's, the part of me just admittedly that I want some recognition for things. I think a a lot of people are like that. Like we want to know that what we're putting in is having output and that's, you know, um, that's good, you know, but it's like, it's a little bit less thankless or what is it? Is that the word? Thankless. I would, yeah, I I think that's a good way to describe it. And I, (laughs) going back to the architect example, you know, it's like you built that thing and people are going to be like, wow, what a beautiful building. And you're going to be like, yeah, I know. That was, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it's it's kind of the same way with music, but I feel like it's so subjective Mm -hmm. that it's easy to get discouraged because, like, you go in the YouTube comment section and there's that one guy who's like, this is bullshit. Yep. And you're like, this that's going to stick with me more than all the comments that are like good. Whereas like, I think, you know, for isotope or engineering, there's more, uh, there's a little bit more reward maybe mm, in that sense. You'd where, be surprised. I mean, I, how many people yeah. want everything to be free is, oh, they're like, Oh my God, they barely did anything with this new version. Why do I have to pay for it? It's like, bruh, I've been working my ass off for the last like, you know, several <laughs> months. And you're telling me that like, we barely did anything like, come on. But oh. yeah. And I, I, maybe I think people also just don't understand the level of work that don't. goes into anything. No. It's like, same with music, you know, when a, everything is on demand now, everything where it's like something, you know, will break in my bathroom. I'm like, I'll just go on this app and get a plumber today and like, he'll fix it. And I don't think about like, you know, that, that guy has been working that job forever. He went to school. He's been working his ass off. And you don't respect the level of artistry that yep. has gotten into anything anymore because everything is just so easy to get. I, I completely agree. And it's uh, it's kind of a shame because it can discourage people from continuing to do anything, whatever it is, when you don't see that reward mm-hmm. and you see, like, these negative comments. It, like That's the difference between, like, you continuing down this path or you just being like, well, fuck it. No one like, cares. This is, uh, so why? Yeah. yeah. 
which is happens. I don't know about you, but with the music stuff for me, it's like uh, every six months I'm in a period of, well, yep. fuck it. Nobody cares. I think every <laughs> music producer ever goes through that. Like, why am I even doing it? Like, you know, the thing for me, I think is going to grad school and like, that moment in my PhD where it's like, Oh wow. Like I really can't not make music. Like this is something I just have to do. And I think that's kind of what I focus on sometimes where it's like, even if no one ever listens to anything I make, I'm going to be doing it until I'm dead. You know, like I just, because I'm not at the end of the day, I'm doing it for me more than anything else because like I would not be able to live without, like I said, it's the greatest hobby in the world. If I wasn't able to do it, my life would be worse. And as much as, it sucks sometimes, you know, um, like seeing pe- like we talked about like producer envy earlier. It's like I see someone on the stage. And it's like that should be me. Like, why isn't it me? And everyone goes through that, you know, like yeah. it, and it's it's hard, but you can come you can come out from that by just like focusing on yourself, competing with yourself, being better than you were the day before um, and just trying to do that. And that's how you can, you know, find some ounce of satisfaction. It's like, you know, you have to, you have to enjoy the process and you have to find the journey, not the destination, you know? And I I wonder if that's like something that happens maybe as you get more successful, where more of your work is like tied to this, like financial security that might be found from like gigging or whatever, where it's like you become less uh, separated from the, or you, yeah, everything becomes tied into the creative process where it's like, now it's not just me creating music. It's now I, I might be able to make a living and these other people are taking that away from me or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, and what you don't realize is it's not a zero sum game, right? It's like, it's, it's very much internal. Everything is internal. The competition is always internal and having those external things kind of gets in the way of that. Oh yeah. And it's, it's, it's wild because like, even for me, like I've played some really big festivals and like performed at some of the, my favorite performed at some of my favorite venues. And like, even once, once in a while, I'll still see something where I'm like, why is that not yeah. me? And it's what you don't realize is like, if you miss one train, there's a next train yeah. coming in 10 fucking minutes. It doesn't really matter. And you just have to carve that space out for yourself over time. But the human brain is just so attached to, uh, you know, just this idea of like, well, that like I maybe it's a survival instinct even. I think it is. Where it's like, yeah, where it's like you you see someone else getting something, you're like, is there enough food on my plate yeah. where I'm not going to be jealous about that? And that's something I try to remind myself of constantly. Like, just make sure I have enough to eat and make sure I can feed my friends where I can. Yeah. And then beyond that, everything else is it's nonsense. It doesn't matter. I think that's such an important point. Because I've seen people go down, like some of my closest friends I've seen go down this road where they're like, I feel this way and I feel like I shouldn't feel this way. And it's making me feel even worse because I'm like, man, you know, like this whole example we're saying where it's like, man, it should be me on this stage. Oh, but why do I feel that way? I'm such an asshole. Like, why can't I just be happy for other people doing what they're doing and just be okay with myself? But it's okay. I think it is a human reaction because at the end of the day, natural selection is always at play. Um, and sorry, anti-evolution people like it is, (laughs) um, but, and, and it's always survival of the fittest. I mean, that, that's, that's it. So you're, you're going to have these reactions, this competitive kind of nature where you want 
to be able to survive, to pass on your genes or whatever. It, it's, it is maybe selfish by definition, but it's also just who we are. And if you're not hurting anyone with it, then I'd say that's okay. Just don't hurt yourself with it. Yeah. You know, don't let yourself get down just because you want more from yourself. That's totally fine. You should always be trying to be better. And, and it is like I was saying before, like it is the journey, not the destination, because once you get there, what's next, you know, like you can't just have like one goal for yourself and be like, okay, like if you're, you know, I played awakenings, you know, that means I'm a great techno artist. And now, um, you know, uh, what do I do next? That was my goal. You know, I'm actually, I could talk about this at length because like, I felt that way about some of the gigs that I've played where it was like, oh man, once I, once I do that, that must mean that like I'm secure and I'm, that's it. you know, I'm yeah. doing things right. And that's maybe it. And then you get there and it's like, it passes you like that. And it never goes like it, like you think it's mm-hmm. going to go. It's always a fucking dumpster fire logistically. And it's never as fulfilling as you think it's going to be. You're like, oh, I'm like, my friends are always telling me like, oh, you played Tomorrowland, like one of the biggest festivals. And that must have been amazing. And it was, it was amazing, but it was nothing like they mm-hmm. think it is for me in my head where it's like, you, you went there and you were a fucking rock star and it was the best experience ever. It was like, now it's stressful. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's financially like, you know, it, it's, it, it's not as rewarding as it looks like on the flyer where it's like the guy at the top of the flyer is making a million dollars, but the little guys in the side room are just making it there pretty much. Yeah. And it's or like, it's never money. what you think it's going to be. Yeah. Or losing money. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is what it is. Right. But it, I think everything is just so grand that you're doing in the music industry that it's like you, you, you're kind of delusional about like where, what success is because you think it's like, okay, playing this gig is going to be amazing. And that's the end game, but it's not the end game is sustaining a career over Mm -hmm. time, no matter what you get out of it. It's to, to be able to show up to the game every day for the rest of your career as an artist. And you don't realize that when you're getting into it, because you're like, if I release on X label, I'll do this and I'll be set. And that's not the case at all. And it's, yeah. it's uh, kind of shocking actually, maybe for a lot of artists, for myself, that there is no end game there. There is no final step that you take. You're just going to do this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think one way of looking at it is, is like, if you could tell yourself five years ago that you are where you are today, would yourself five years ago have been like, yes. That is awesome, you know, and you wouldn't feel like that right now. You'd be like, well, I only got like so and so amount of Spotify plays and like that means I suck. And it's like, bro, like 10 years ago, how many Spotify plays did you have? Was it zero? Yeah. Like because anything is better than that. Um, You know, I think there was a while where I had like zero monthly listeners on Spotify and like. And then when it goes up to one, you're like, cool, mom, listened to my track today. Like. (laughs) Or I listen to fan. it. Yeah, exactly. Number one fan. Yeah, and I think I was, <laughs> exactly, you know, I mean, well, of course, you know, that's, that's, that's great. Shout out mom. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's like, it's just, I keep on saying this, but just constantly bettering yourself. I mean, that's, that's, that's it right there. It's like, are you making friends and memories and all this stuff? Like I literally like the best moments of my life, like, Oh, like overwhelmingly, would not have happened without music and regardless Mm. of how successful I am, you know, which I'm, I'm still not satisfied with myself musically, which is fine. I think everyone is, but 
all of the things that have happened and the great people I've met, you know, what we're doing right now, like this would not have happened if I had not gone down this path. And for that, you have to be thankful. I mean, that, that is what the journey is all about right there. You know, I mean, I'm so true. It's, it's pretty, it's an incredible thing when you take the moment to reflect and look back on it, not where you are like, and where you're going, I guess. It's, it's so true. And I feel like, you know, maybe the brain does do have that evolutionary portion of you that you have to kind of like shut off Mm -hmm. where you just have to look at point A and point B and everything that happened in between. And maybe that's like a framing thing where, you know, you can kind of look and maybe if you look at things in a way where it's like, okay, I didn't get this gig or whatever, but like, why didn't I get that gig? Instead of saying like, well, fuck, that should have been me. It's like, there's a reason why probably, right? Like maybe, maybe your reach dropped or maybe that promoter just likes a different sound or whatever. And maybe, you know, learning to appreciate the little things along the way while just kind of changing how you critique yourself mm-hmm. is probably a recipe for like dealing with the negative sides of these things over time where it could really, it could really drag you down. If you look at everything, like I deserve this and I didn't get it. And that's, a, that's another thing too, is it, this is the hardest thing ever. Some of the things that we've mentioned, like being a creator in general, no matter what you're doing, yep you have to be able to just kind of withstand relentless feedback from the world over and over and over and over and over and over and over until you die, yep. essentially. Like that's just never going to end. So I don't know why we have this this dumb thought in our head where like I deserve something or whatever. It's like, no, it doesn't owe you anything. And you just have to kind of just be able to show up to the game every day. Yeah, no one, no one owes you anything. That that's that's such as like a true statement. The world doesn't owe you anything. And the quicker that you accept that, you know, you have to take things like there are some things that are given in life. Like if you just happen, you know, like the genetic lottery, if you were born to a super rich family, like great, congratulations, like you have a pretty easy go at life most of the time. Um, But, you know, for the most part, for the rest of us plebs, um, like you have to take a lot of things, you know, and if you don't put the work in, it's not going to happen. And even if you do put in the work, it's not going to happen sometimes, you know, like it, it, it's like, that's just how unfair this thing that we call life is, but there are things you can do to improve your odds. Right. And yeah. it's exactly like you were saying, like if, if you don't, if you're not reflective about it, like what we do in software engineering is you have like anyone who works agile as it's called will know about retrospectives. And that is what it's all about is looking back what went wrong and how, why did it go wrong? How could it have been better? And how do we use that to improve our, our, our function as a team? And, um, you know, that's a really depressing, but also healthy exercise to do. Um, because it's not always (laughs) depressing. Sometimes it's really insightful, but, it's like, um, you know, it's exactly like you were saying, why didn't I get this gig? And sometimes the un- the unfortunate answer is sometimes it's like, oh, you don't have enough followers on Instagram. Like that is the one that really drives me crazy. And it, I'm not saying that that's always the case or even usually the case, but it is there is no denying that social media popularity can help you. And now it's like, it's such a big thing and you see people making it because they're TikTok stars. And it's like <laughs> that kills me. It kills me too kills because me. I don't have that skill set. 
And at this point, I don't know if I'm young enough to learn that skill set to a full extent. Like maybe if we had publicists or something like that, that helps. But like at the end of the day with social media and content, like you got to do a lot of that yourself. And if you're not good at marketing, like that's just an unfortunate truth that it's like it's it's not, you know, it's something you have to kind of at least learn a little bit of is how to engage with your fans and, and get new fans and stuff and post stories and you know, it, it's yeah. it's something that I'm currently working on because I always have like this this thing that like I feel like social media is inherently narcissistic, right? Where it's like I hate posting about music stuff because I feel weird posting about mm-hmm. it. I feel like it's like it's douchey. I'm like, and then I realize like, especially like going back to the topic of like throwing shows, like how important it is that my audience is engaged because I have to sell tickets mm-hmm. and I have to get people to come to shows. And if a promoter is taking a risk on me, that is a bridge that I could burn potentially by not doing well promoting the show. And so it is a skill set that you do have to learn. And I, it's a skill. It's got to be like anything else, right? That like, if you're a music producer, you didn't just start producing music day one. You sat there in front of a dawn, you figured yep. it out. And it's the same thing with everything else is that, you know, you have to sit down with social media and building email lists and text lists and you're going to flounder day one. And it's something I have to remind myself of because I'm doing all these things, running a record label, like starting this podcast and, you know, doing my own music. And I've, I haven't really taken that seriously over time. I've just kind of figured the people who are looking for me will find me, but your competition is everything in the world. So you, I do have to get better at presenting and, marketing and branding and i'm even learning ad systems and stuff yep. because it's like i want control of my brand i don't want to have to pay somebody to do any of these things until i'm able to like feed them yep. essentially and i could give them a salary that it makes sense for them to do so you know these are just things that i i have to learn how to do and it's like anything else is that i'm gonna suck at it day one. Uh, and it's going to be embarrassing. I'm sure I'm going to post something from this podcast and be like, I'm going to look at it in five years and be like, fuck, I, I wish I didn't, but, or I wish I said that different, but that's what makes us good. I think too, at anything that's creative is mm-hmm. uh, being able to take that framework in the end and say, how could this be better? And it, the, the agile thing is something that, that you don't think would be applicable to anything creative or anything, but being able to look back at something and say like, why didn't it work? That, that works for everything. And that's incredibly useful as a skill. Yeah. I mean, even just, and I'm sorry for outing Adam Stark a little bit here, but he (laughs) actually does have like kind of a Kanban board sort of thing in his studio that he like will on a whiteboard, just like kind of, plan out things like that and use like a very agile mindset. And it's something I'm very envious of because I can't do that without like a company around me. And, you know, like I think that approach to social media also works too. Um, and, uh, and it's exactly like you said, like you are going to post things that you cringe watching back, but if you're not trying and, and failing and learning from those mistakes, like no one's going to watch that stuff you know, and like, just like post a story and tag someone that like, if you go to a show, like just tag the artists that you're seeing. I mean, they might actually see your Instagram because they're looking through their stories and like, give it a repost or a share. And then maybe you gain one fan. And that's already something that you wouldn't have gotten if you hadn't done it. 
And yeah, sometimes there's going to be some cringe content. We're human. Like we can't be perfect. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it, it it's, I, I just hate, I, I'm like you, I hate having to promote myself like that, you know, and, and just like post random stuff where you're like, Oh, I have to be funny here. How can I be funny? Um, and usually when you're thinking about how you can be funny, if you're not a yeah, comedian, you're, you're not going to be, you're funny. not going to be funny, you know, like <laughs> it's usually the organic things that end up being funny. And so it's like getting into the rhythm of posting like organic stuff because you're promoting your brand as a human being. It's just, I hate it in so many ways, but I do know how necessary it is. And the people who are good at it are really good at it. And that is yeah. a skill within itself. And I, there's no disrespect I'm, I'm giving to those people, but like, it does give you a, an advantage and it's one that I don't think I will ever really have, but I don't know. I well, mean, I, my social media has been on the up. So maybe you, I'm doing you, something. Uh, right. You also have done some of the most difficult things it is to do as a human being. You have a fucking PhD and then Thanks, you're man. like, I, there's no way I'll figure out social media. It's not rocket science. <laughs> like, why skill. do we feel like this? It it's is a different, different skill, skill, but you're personable. I'm sure, you know, if you approach social, social media, like you did this podcast, like, it, it, you're going to be great at it. It's just like we're you're, we're flowing, and it's like why why do we find this so difficult? I came into this podcast, and I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna flounder at this, and it's like it's going like pretty decent. No, for you're, first we're, podcast we're having a recording, great right. We're having a great conversation. So, yeah. I don't know why I don't know why our brains are so and I think that is actually why we are good eventually become good at things, right? Because we're like, we're able to say I really suck at this. And I, yes. I, I, but now I'm going to, if I really want to do it, I'm going to get better. Why, and so why is it that like, I mean, and you just kind of explained it, but you know, it, it is those, those sorts of self doubt. It, it happens a lot in creatives and like intellectuals. And there's a lot of overlap in those two categories, but like, you know, we were talking about it. I don't know if we were talking about this before we started recording or when we started recording, but like, you know, people who watch a YouTube video and think that they know more than scientists. Um, or they just think there's something corrupt going on and, and this information, this YouTube video without <laughs> verifying it with any, you know, peer reviewed sources or whatever. And this all of a sudden, like they're convinced that the earth is flat and <laughs> you know, just to pick like the most extreme so example. That, yeah. That's a great and, example. Yeah. And it's like, where is that self doubt that, that sort of like questioning of, you know, am I really the one qualified to be making this, this sort of judgment or is there something I could do to better myself that would make me understand something better? And I'm not saying that you have to trust everyone and everything. I'm absolutely not saying that. Like you should question things. And and that's something that 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 uh conspiracy theorists and, and I, I love a good conspiracy theory. I won't I won't go off too far on that that realm. But like, <laughs> but like, you know, well, don't you want us to be questioning things? Like, isn't that what science is all about? Absolutely it is. But like there are rules to that questioning, you know, like there's the scientific method for a reason, you know, like yeah. there's ways of verifying information. There are ways of, of self-criticizing that can be healthy um, too on the same, on the same like realm. And it, it's, it's just interesting that you can, you can tell a lot about a person in terms of how they are trying to better themselves. And that's not mutually exclusive. I'm not saying like, if you love your, your, your conspiracies and, and things like that, like no shame on you. I mean, if you're a flat earther, a little bit of shame. Yeah. On you. A little question, uh, but like, questioning things is good. Questioning. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, there, I'm sure there's some level of truth to all those things. And I think that's the problem with yeah. like conspiracy things is that it's like, there's probably 10% that's accurate. And then like 90% is just emotional nonsense thrown on top of it. 
pitching you on it. And that's everything in the world is just mm-hmm. like once you find an emotional attachment, you're like so clouded. Yeah. And that's why scientists are able to just like be like, well, you know, it's the scientific method shows you exactly how wrong you are exactly every time. So it's like you to develop this extent. skin. Yeah. Well, it, they're, or they're, within within the level of knowledge yeah. that we have available to us now. Right. 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 I mean, so. it, it's like what I was kind of saying way back when. Also, I don't remember if we were recording when I said this, but the problem I have with those sorts of things is that there are legitimate problems with the scientific community. Oh, of course. And they're not being yeah. addressed because people keep on pointing at the things that we've already figured out. Like, you know, like yeah. it, it's like yeah. it, it, scientists and, and just I just want to put this out publicly just as someone who's who's seen it firsthand. Scientists are very like, like uh, spiteful almost because it's like they're constantly competing with ideas and they're married to their own research. And Mm -hmm. so it's like if someone says something that's like pretty groundbreaking, you've got so many people trying to prove them wrong. And if they can't prove them wrong, they're going to be like, fuck, you know, like, I guess they're right. I hate it, but they're right because they can't publish anything that shows that 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 this other person is wrong so if you have a overwhelming majority of scientists agreeing on something that means they are begrudgingly agreeing like they couldn't disprove this other person so they're like okay yeah like they're right we couldn't disprove it (laughs) so like if if you see like 90 percent of scientists agree on this one thing you shouldn't be trusting the 10 percent like they might have their own reasons for for not, um, you know, uh, I forget the word, but like agreeing more or less. Um, but like, you know, that's actually one of the things that is, you know, in my opinion, very like surprisingly good about the scientific community is that they're so they're, they they want to disprove people so much. If someone yeah. could have disproved evolution or man-made climate change at this point, they would have because they would have gotten a Nobel Prize. If you disprove yeah. Darwin, you are like the best biologist of all time, like hands down. Um, There's something, yeah. something to be said for being like that 1% who's contrarian and is actually right where it's like you just, you just blew the lid off the – and maybe that's probably an ego thing too, which mm-hmm. is why you see some of these like – guys who go really off the deep end on the science stuff where it's like, you know, it's probably easy to get caught up and you see it with politics too, Mm -hmm. where it's like, you know, your favorite public figure who is like involved in certain politics ends up just like doubling down repeatedly because they're just going against the grain and now they make a living going against the grain. And now they're stuck in this like loop where it's like they make Instagram ad money because they're a certain part of the political spectrum. Yeah. And so it, it could be problematic. And I wish, I wish it's with like with politics and science and like healthcare, none of it should be tied tied to money, but it is unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's one of the like leading issues in the scientific community because it is the issue with everything else is that everything is tied to to profits. So it's like inevitably it kind of kind of fucks up the system where it's like nobody's no. I shouldn't say nobody. Not everybody's a scientist because they they just want to be a scientist. But like like everybody everybody then makes a living from it. Yeah. And so you have 50% or maybe more of scientists who are just like, I just need a job and I'm just doing it. And they're not doing it for the fundamental, you know, I just want to change the world and discover stuff about science. Like some of them are in it because of the money. I mean, if they're and, in it for the money that they did a really poor choice <laughs> because like, well, you I mean, can't it's make a high level much. thing. Yeah. If you do industrial <laughs> science, then yeah. sure. You can make a decent amount of money off it, but academia, yeah, true, like yeah. the main 
part, like our academic institutions all over the world, like not just in the US, like, I mean, they're not, they're, I would argue they're very underpaid. I mean, they, they're going through it because- well, that, I think- I think that's the problem, though, is that yeah. most of the people aren't paid well. And now they're tied to their living that they don't make enough money in, and now their 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 livelihood is based on them keeping that job. And you being can't able go on to Twitter. get grant money. Yeah, and then you but can't no one's go on gonna Twitter. give you a grant if you're constantly disproved for doing bad science. That's, so that's true. It's like there are some 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 things within science that yeah they are tied to money, but at the same time, like if they get embarrassed, they won't have that money anymore. So they have to do good work. Right. Um, yeah. And, and, and that's why well, it's very unique in that in that um, in that sense, because like I was it, saying, the scientific community wants to disprove you if if their research goes against gets yours. Yeah. Yeah. I, in an ideal world for me, I feel like we should just subsidize fucking science and everybody oh, yeah. who does it yeah. should just be paid well. And we should never have to think about, like, how do I get grant money or whatever? And like, that's another issue with grants, too, is like. You have your 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 science has to prove a certain thing, and a certain company is maybe backing that, and they're paying for it, or a certain you know. So it doesn't I don't know. have to. Yeah, this is something that I, I maybe I won't bore people with talking about grants, but um, you don't have you you set up you you basically I've had to write a grant application before, and it's awful. But like you basically <laughs> go out on what you're trying to find and what evidence you have, because the people who review these grant proposals like they're scientists as well like they know yeah. exactly what what's going on so you can't really bullshit them um but th- you'll be like this is the evidence we've gained so far that we think that this sort of research will come out with this result and sometimes it doesn't and the grant givers are giving you money regardless so it's like sorry like we were wrong and that's that's yeah. that's science you know like it's like we set out with a with a hypothesis our hypothesis was wrong and that was the worst part as a grad student by the way or just doing science in general where you spent like six months trying to get like to something and sometimes that answer might not even exist like it's like oh crap now we got to go back to the drawing board i hate my <laughs> life you know like it, it's it's rough that's another thing about science versus engineering is with engineering, it's like usually there is a way to build the thing. And if you don't, then you build something different that has a similar result. Mm. Whereas science, it's like you might not even get an answer, let alone the answer that you want. And then you got to <laughs> like, you know, go back and figure out what actually is going on or what questions can you answer. It's a, it's a crazy field. I, I have just so much respect for for people who do that for their entire lives. I wish we could, I wish everybody could kind of go through that experience and, and experience that because that happens in creative fields as well. Right. Where Mm -hmm. it's like you, you get to the end product or the end, you know, the end result of all your work and you realize, shit, this is, (laughs) this is not what I wanted or it's completely different or I, I did this wrong. And like you get up to the top of the mountain and you realize that the mountain you actually wanted to be climbing is three times the size and you have to go all the way down yours to, to get there. So you have to start all the way from the, from the bottom. And I think that's like such a useful experience as a human, actually, even though it's probably like, especially in in that regard, like for science where it's like you do all this research and you do this study. And then the end result is like, well, we were way fucking off. That's gotta be the worst feeling. (laughs) Awful, man. It's so bad. And that's what I'm saying. Like the best scientists are the ones who get off on that, you know, like they're like, Oh, you know, great. Now we know it's not this. It's like, cool, man. But you just like spent like so long, you know, I don't know. It, 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 but you're, you're so right with 
it, it does give you this kind of outlook with creative uh, endeavors and like, you know, sometimes you'll finish an EP and you're like, I was going for so-and-so record label. And then you start lo- listening to like their recent releases and you're just like, oh, there's no way they're going to sign this. This is this EP <laughs> is like not what they're releasing right now. I thought it was when I set out. Now, I mean, and, and you know, you can use reference tracks and whatever to to kind of minimize that risk. But I mean, it still happens. Um, and it's like you were also saying, like, if you try to sound like someone, you're they're not. I mean, it goes back to, again, Stephen Kirkwood, like everyone wants to be on Anjuna in that space because they're like a cult um, and they have like this really loyal group of 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 fans and and followers and and you know even if you're not a current anjuna fan you probably used to be you know like when you know if you're like a pure trance person um like you'd listen to anjuna at some point like come yeah. on be real we, you we just all, did, we, we, all, we all grew up at one it. point in our lives yeah. just played the ocean lab exactly and cried our repeat. eyes out you know exactly <laughs> so like <laughs> you know um and 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 steven goes and releases like a techno track on Anjuna, you know, he wasn't trying to sound like Anjuna. In fact, Alan Fitzpatrick played when it, when it was a work in progress, I think gaslighter is the name of the, t- the tune. Um, and that was like his, his o- door being open to, to release music with Anjuna. And he did it by making like a track. I never would have imagined that Anjuna would sign, you know, and, and it just goes to show you like, you know, if, say if Anjuna is the record label you're going for, like, yeah, you'll probably want to have some aspect of of their sound in it. But, you know, you, you never know what, how far you can get by just being yourself and being innovative and new. And then sometimes, yeah, you'll get in those those situations like we were talking about where you set out to do one thing and then you realized, oh, well, that wasn't it at all. And now it's time to go back to the drawing board. But at least you learned something, you know. I wonder if, like we were saying before, like why does the brain do this negative emotion thing? But maybe it's doing that on a, on some small scale where it's like it's doing it's getting to that end result of like oh, I'm doing the wrong thing and I have to figure out and correct or maybe go back to the beginning. And so maybe maybe our brain is just wired that way on a smaller scale so that we don't I have to go through that whole. Scale. No, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I feel like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's astounding because even the most talented creatives that I know are at, like, they're still like me in that regard where they're like, I've, I've talked to some of my favorite producers of trance mm-hmm. and that like, I've had discussions with them and I've been like, do you ever get to a point where you're just like proud of your work and you're like, you've written this legendary piece of music and they're like, no, my shit sucks. Yeah. Like, and it's like, wow, it's this guy's written the best piece of music I know. <laughs> like, and he still feels that way. Our brain just must do that. Maybe just it's just always trying to be better. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it is weird. We're always more critical of our own things. That's when you know that someone's really an asshole is if they like just think that they're the best ever. It's like, yes. really? Like, you know, like, are you serious? Because like, no, I mean, even if we think that it's like when someone thinks that about themselves, it's like, oh, you really just don't have that trigger in your brain that is like, I need to be better. You know, uh, it's um, it's also like I feel like the most talented guys that I've ever met are like they're that critical that it's like that worries me if somebody is coming into this industry uh you know they're making music and they don't have that that Mm -hmm. that trigger then i'm either concerned that they don't make their own music or something or or they're missing that and that's gonna impact their career 
because you can't, it's the most humbling thing in the world to put yourself mm-hmm. out there like this. And you're going to get cut down real quick. If you think you're the shit, yeah. you're really not. You're surrounded by the most talented people, the most like people with the most resources and all the fans are used to that. They're right. Every right. legendary song has ever been made already, and you're coming into this fresh, and you think you're the shit? Uh, good yeah. luck. <laughs> yeah, uh, 100%. I mean, at the same time, it is good to be able to recognize your accomplishments and be proud oh, of something, sure. of course. I don't think either of us is saying that, but like, you're not the best, and you never yeah. will be. Like, yeah. I mean, even when you get to like the ones who are considered the goats, right? Like, I mean you have to believe like to get to that. I mean, I don't know, like LeBron James and like Michael Jordan, they always had to believe that they were the best and like to compete at that level, which is fine. But at the end of the day, like they, it's not like they didn't think that they could improve, you know, like it's, it's always, it's always that. And also just, it's always debatable who the greatest is. So like, even if you think you're the greatest, you're not like people will see it as different. It's just no point in the, in thinking that you're the shit ever. I mean, yeah, you, I think, you, you can be proud, but don't think that you're better than everyone else. That's just like a superiority complex in my opinion. But, and I, I think yeah. it's a, it's kind of like apples and oranges where it's like, you know, at a certain level in professional uh, athleticism, it's like, it's dependent on you knowing that you are the greatest. Like if you're Mike Tyson, mm. you're not going to go in the, in the ring and be like, I could be better at this. Like, yeah, that's you, true. You, your survival depends on you knowing yeah, full well true. that you're going to kill this guy. Yeah, maybe <laughs> and, athletics is a little bit different. <laughs> yeah, but I think a lot of people do. And they're the types of it makes sense that they're the types of people that would be competitive in that mm-hmm. aspect. But I think it's a bad recipe, especially if you're a new artist. Some of the best advice like that I've ever gotten has been like just be humble, be easy to work with, and like that'll pay off more over time than being that guy who's like comes mm-hmm. in and they're like, I'm the shit. Now there is like the converse to that where it's like, if uh, there's that great joke that Dave Chappelle does of like, he meets Kanye West and Kanye West just, know, this is before he's famous. He just knows yeah. he's going to be famous. Yeah. But I mean, you know, is that, <laughs> is that an issue like a mental health issue that like, like, you know, he's just missing that thing or did he really just know? And he's that confident. And it's like, uh, you know, it, not everybody's Kanye West, so how many people could get away with that? I'd be careful to be that guy who thinks yeah. he's shit. But you know, it's yeah, uh, it's definitely a fine line because it, I'm dope and I do dope shit. That's the line. That's the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> it makes sense though that he becomes the like one of the biggest artists in the world because like maybe he just knew. But I think for most people, you know, you're not going to be that top. Point zero zero one percent in whatever you do. I mean, if you are, that's yeah. amazing. But it's it's like we've been saying. Like, there's exceptions to everything we're talking about, and I think yeah. there is something to be said about having that sort of confidence. Like, it can it can get you far, um, for sure. But you have to have the stuff to back it up. And in Kanye's case, he did right. Yeah. Or in Mike Tyson's case, I mean, yeah, he bit an ear off. But other than that, like you know, he did. Um, <laughs> I guess maybe maybe it's like a natural because I can't ever see myself being like that, maybe. But mm-hmm. yeah, maybe it's I just a personality type. Personality type, but also maybe if you if you're Mike Tyson, like he was probably born and he just kind of fucking like knew when he got in the ring that he was incredible at this and that was his thing, right? So it's like there, maybe there's a difference because maybe you or I haven't experienced that where mm-hmm. we 
you know, Kanye West. And he's like, I just fucking know I'm the shit. It's like, I've never felt like that. So maybe that's why we're, yeah. we're a little bit different. It also could but, be, you know, experience too. Like I was yeah. talking about at the very beginning about how grad school you come in, like I'm going to be a great scientist and then you just immediately get shut down. And it's like, maybe if you, when you have those experiences, you know, okay, yeah, they're, they're, I'm not a gift from God. There is something to, I mean, Kanye like fully believes he's a gift from God, right? right. Like it, it, it's like, you gotta, I've met, I've met so many people in the music industry who, who think like Kanye, but uh, don't have the same product. And it's right. like, uh, I don't know how well that's going to go for you. But. Yeah. The only reason we know about Kanye's case is because he's Kanye and he succeeded in that, in that way. Right. But most of the people who think like that don't, have that fame to back it up we just see the ones who did have the product to back it up because they got there and we know about them right yeah. um and i think you're right that probably most people don't you know most artists probably have well i don't know i don't have the statistics but it, it's definitely just a difference in experience and maybe genetics and um personality type but i yeah. mean i don't care who you are you can always be better yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I think also realizing like, even if you are that person, like realizing that you were born into a very specific, you know, yeah. time place and you have certain genetics and you're born into an area that like you're able to do this or whatever. It's like being realistic about where you are, where you come from. It, anybody could do that. And it's like. So I, much of it is luck. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that either. Like we're very lucky, like to even have the technology mm -hmm. to make music in the first place. Right. And it's like it, a lot of people go through the motions and they don't have the respect for either where, where music came from or like where they came from. And it, these are all things that take a little bit of introspection. And I like, I don't know about you, but uh, I, like over the pandemic, especially I got really into like meditation and like stoic philosophy and stuff. And I feel like it's kind of changed my perspective on life in a way. So like for me, it's like, I'm always looking for things that are synergistic and kind of better myself, no matter what it is. It's not just music, but it's like living in general. And I feel like you're probably the same way, right? Lloyd? It's like, you're, you, you have a PhD, you do engineering, you work on music and, Maybe that's just a personality type. I have where I have this problem where um, I take very good care of the things I work on. I don't take as good good of care of myself, mm. and that mm. is a struggle. Um, I when it's like an aspiration or something that I'm working on, like whether it be a plugin, a piece of music. Um, you know, my PhD thesis, you know, whatever, like I basically put my health at risk to, to better that. Um, and that's something I recognize and something I'm trying to work on. Um, and one thing I started doing though, during the pandemic was breathing exercises and that helped just yes. so much. Um, Oh man, I'm I'm glad that you uh you brought this up because I could go on at length about this. We're already like uh, like an hour and forty five minutes into this conversation, but uh, I don't know. I I'd really well, like to it. talk let's about this it, yeah. too because I think it's I th I think it I think it's really helpful for artists because I was you for a long time. I I would burn the candle at both ends and I would let my health go essentially, and I'd sacrifice everything mm -hmm. to do music and whatever was related to that. And it really took a toll on me mentally and physically. And that was especially apparent like 
over the pandemic where it was like I had then as that was starting, I just like kind of I saw shows go up in flames mm-hmm. essentially. And I was like, I have no idea where money is going to come from. And so it became really stressful. And I realized I sacrificed my health and my mental well-being for a very long time for I wouldn't say no reason, but I, w- I was not as careful as I am now which if I could go back, I think it would have been better that I Mm -hmm. did take care of myself because I could do things better. And so I feel like there's a balance there between like sacrifice and, you know, setting yourself up in a way that you can sustain a career or whatever you're doing over time. And that's funny that you mentioned breathing exercises because like I was going through like severe anxiety and depression and breathing exercises for me along with meditation and just exercising in general became like a very important thing that helped me kind of deal with that. And it's funny because I've always had depression and anxiety my entire life. And I always wrote those things off. I was like, well, there's no way like just sitting down and breathing will really fix my chronic anxiety. That sounds fucking ridiculous. And then when you look at it, it actually makes the most sense. It's your body does it every day, right? Like you, you do it without thinking, and when you get into anxious thought patterns, your breathing patterns yep. change. So that at the source is yep. going to help. And I don't, I don't know what it is that I wrote it off, but I'm so glad that that I picked it up eventually because, like, it's it's instrumental for me to be able to do anything in life anymore. To be able to recognize mm-hmm. that I have anxiety, and then I have a trigger, and then I have a, a solution for it that I can sit down, yep. and meditate, do br- breathing exercises. And so what does that, what does that look like for, for you? Like, cause I could get into my stuff as well. And like, so what do you do? Like, for yeah, mainly like Wim Hof, for example, type stuff. Um, yeah. which is really good. And then, yeah. you know, as a tribute to your background, I, I do some Peloton as well for like regular exercise. Um, although I've fallen off a little bit, like I'm a travel addict. Nice. My mom was a flight attendant for like 40 years yeah. or something like that. Sorry, mom, if you're listening to this and I got that wrong. She was a flight attendant for a really long time and I got that gene as far as just loving travel. <laughs> and thankfully, because she had that career, it allows me to travel fairly cheap. Um, and also because of the pandemic, uh, I can work remote now, which is just huge. And because mm-hmm. Isotope, you know, we we are sister companies with like Native Instruments based in Berlin. So no one has a problem with me working from Europe or whatever. I can just go and traveling is such a huge like mental health thing for me just to like remove myself from this apartment and like breathe in beautiful places, you know, and like do these breathing exercises and things like that. It kind of, it kind of, um, it kind of takes away from like my physical exercise a little bit because I don't have like a Peloton or yeah. or something like that. But you can still exercise. It's just about being like disciplined with it. I got this Apple watch recently and that's helping a little bit too. Um, or just dancing. Like I went to this awesome event um, yesterday called Infrastructure. There's this this uh, techno collective in Boston called Infra. Shouts to those guys because they do an amazing job. Um, and uh, like it was just like 140 BPM, like hard techno. I'm just I must have burnt. <laughs> or according to my watch, I burnt 1500 calories doing that. And I just I felt <laughs> so much better. You know, like it's just we as humans were made to like move and and not just sit around all day. And, um, you know, it's, it's and, and diet. Diet is important, too. And I don't do enough of that either. Like yeah. gut health ties so much to, to your mental health. Also, just to be clear, I'm not saying that everything can be solved with breathing 
breathing exercise, exercises, no. diet, yeah. like there are actual mental conditions where like you need medication. Um, like for instance, I was having to be totally honest, you know, like, um, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, I was having like crippling panic attacks and, um, you know, I had to, I had to, you know, get put on some stuff to, to tune that out. Cause even just breathing exercises wasn't doing it. However, um, it made a hell of a difference. You know, um, it's weird how yeah. much your body just sometimes just needs more oxygen, you know, like it's as simple as that sometimes. Um, there's a great meme where it's like the, the guy who's depressed, like just throws on like running shoes and goes outside. And he's like, all my worries go out the window essentially. And it's true. It's just for me, I, like exercise is so good, but it's when you're really depressed, for example, like, like same thing with you over, over the pandemic for me, like my mental health went out the fucking window and I was like, I was even oh, suicidal man, at it. some points. And it, it, I I'm, I'm happy to talk about it now because I'm at a point where it's like, I've figured out mm-hmm. what works for me. And, uh, I mean, I've always been conscious of my mental health because, uh, I mean, long story short, this could, this could go on forever, but uh, my mom had schizophrenia, depression runs in the mm-hmm. women's side of my family, and I've always been more prone to depression. And over the pandemic, you throw, you know, all these catalysts, you know, you take away socialization and my my physical health went out the window and pretty soon my, 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 my own mental health followed. But I kind of was able to get through that. And I feel like, you know... I like, thank you for even bringing this up because it's like, uh, a lot of people are scared Absolutely. to talk about it's it. It's hard I to think. talk about. And it's, it's really hard to talk about, but it's, it's so rewarding because I used to keep this to myself and I, I don't think I would be here if I continued to do that. And you realize how many people are in the same mm-hmm. boat that, you know, you're not alone in whatever mental health issues you're experiencing. I mean, in, in the case of my mom, for example, I saw the most extreme, which is like, she's when she had mental breakdowns, it was, it was very difficult to deal with. And, you know, but it's a learning experience as well that like you, this is a human thing to happen. And so, you know, I think it's, I think it's a important that we talk about it. And uh, side note, this, uh, this podcast was actually going to be, I was going to call, I was going to start a podcast about mental mm, health and, and creative. So I'm glad that we're, yeah, that we're, that we're broaching this, this subject, because uh, I think there's a natural tendency for creatives to be predisposed to, uh, you know, mental health issues. Yeah. It's part of but, what um, helps us be emotional in our like music creation and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. it's, that's, that's yeah. part of how I cope. And that's how I, when I knew yeah. that, well, I'll, I'll get into it after, after, um, you finish your, your thought. So my, my, the rest of my thoughts on this were going to be like, I've been so severely depressed that I couldn't get out of bed or do anything physical and my physical health suffered because of that. And so it's, I know exercise is like the thing that'll work the best for my depression, anxiety, not so much breathing exercises are actually Mm -hmm. the best for that, for my anxiety, but don't help at all with depression. And so I'm careful to recommend to people like, yeah, just get out and exercise. It'll help because it's really difficult yes. to do when you're in that 100%. headspace. And so what I've actually learned is exercise mimetics, like the sauna hmm. and uh, even like cold exposure. The Cold exposure is super difficult, but it, it's easier than getting up and going for a run when yeah. you're depressed. And so if you could take a 10 minute cold shower, five minutes, don't start at 10 minutes, but you know, if you could get there, work your way up, those little things will help get 
you know, get you on the yeah. right path. And actually I'm a huge fan of the sauna because, you know, say I go out, I go out, play a show. I'm out until six in the morning, the next day, my mental health. And for the next following week, if I don't get my shit together, it's going to mm-hmm. be a wreck. I'm going to be super depressed. And so it really affects me. And I've found, okay, I can't exercise, but I can sit in a fucking right. sauna for 40 minutes. And it's the same effect where you get your heart rate up, your body, your core temperature gets up and it really helps with my mm-hmm. depression and more so than any medication or anything that I've ever done. Uh, it's been exercising the sauna. It's really helped. And, you know, for my anxiety, breathing exercises and meditation cured it pretty That's much. Amazing. Of crippling social anxiety crippling, which for an artist is yep. really difficult, right? It's like if you, if you're scared to leave your bedroom and then you go out and you're playing in front of a crowd of 300 people, it leads to you to do stupid shit, like drink your yep. face off and then black out, yep. you know? So, uh, I had to get that under control and, you know, I still struggle with it like everybody does, but you have to put in the work and that's hard to say because it's like, I know exactly what it feels like to not be able to put in the work. And so you have to find these little things that kind of hack it and breathing exercises and sauna you can do on, on demand. Well, maybe not the sauna. You have to find a gym that, you know, pay for the membership or whatever, but it's so worth it. And so I hope anybody listening, you know, can kind of, if you're in that place or you get to that place at some points, like you're not alone and there are things that you could do, you know? Yeah. It's, it's like, there's this great quote from, um, this guy named Marcus parks, who is, uh, a host of a podcast I listen to. And he always says, cause he has, he has um, bipolar depression and, and a bunch of other things. And what he always says about, about mental health, like mental health is it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. And that really resonated with me. Um, so good. Yeah. I mean, because it, it isn't your fault. Like <laughs> We go through this, but, but the, you know, if you don't, and it, 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 it's like yourself, it's hard to tell people like, oh, well, you just need to exercise or, or do these things because everyone's, first of all, everyone's experience with it is different and there is no cure all. However, like if you have mental health issues, like do seek help, you know, I mean, it, it, it's hard to go through alone, um, whether that's yeah. in the form of a psychiatrist, which is a good idea or, or a support group or friends. I mean, it's, it's important if you just sit with it with yourself, it's only going to get worse. Um, and I've had those days too often where, uh, it, you can't do anything like you can't get out of bed. Um, you can't just basically everything you were saying and it's well with the panic attacks, it was really bad. I was, I've, that's super. It, tough, yeah. I mean, yeah. like I, I, I'd heard about panic attacks before, but I never, until I was getting them once a week, I didn't understand like how crippling, they are where like you're afraid to do anything because if you have a panic attack in the wrong place, like you're, you're screwed. Um, you feel like you're dying like 100%. I, I, I don't know if you've had them before, dude, but they're just awful. Um, yeah. Uh, and I've had them in kind of like the worst scenarios mm-hmm. where like I, my first like kind of festival that I played, um, I got, I, I, I played my set. I was fine. And then I got off and like, it was like a certain set, set of circumstances where like, I, I was like kind of arguing with my ex-girlfriend mm. over like little shit and like people were trying to talk to me after my set and uh, I had to like remove myself from the entire thing. I had to go sit and I like breathe it out mm-hmm. and I had a full on panic attack. Uh, and I like, I had friends I had just met for the first time, like, you know, producers I was talking to online and I was like, I can't even hang out with you because I'm mm-hmm. going through this. And it's like, it's, it's harrowing. And it, especially 
<laughs> you're a music producer, right? Like, so you go from like sitting in your bedroom to performing in the most hyper social situation. And it's a cause, like it's directly related to causing a panic yeah. attack performing. So it's like, and I mean, I've had them now uh, just in kind of like normal situations, but um, it was really startling to me because it's like, I've had them on a small scale, but I never had like a full meltdown until like my mid twenties. Mm -hmm. And it was, it's, it's For me, it was my harrowing late 20s. because yeah, yeah, it, I always felt like panicky, but I never had a full on my body is losing its yep. shit moment. And it is, it's, it's scary because you, you feel like paralyzed and you're, it's almost like locked in where it's like, you're, you're experiencing things that aren't real. You know, your body isn't responding. Yeah. Right? I mean, your body isn't doing it's, it's like, and I'm not suicidal in any way, shape or form, but like if life was a panic attack, it wouldn't be worth it. Like it's not like yeah. it's it's just it is it is that bad, you know, where like and, and sometimes it, it it wasn't even having triggers like it was just happening at random times. Um, and I'm sure there was some sort of trigger over it. Like the first time it happened, I was driving and that was really scary because I, I had to pull off. Oof. I was getting tunnel vision like I just couldn't see anything. I was like, I need to. And I, I was in the car with two friends. I'm like, I'm sorry, we need to pull over. Like, I, I don't know what's going on, but like I'm dying. <laughs> and like that's obviously not Jesus. something you want to hear when you're riding in the car with someone driving um thank god <laughs> we're all okay you know but uh if and then they might be if they listen to this podcast they know exactly what which time i'm talking about <laughs> but luckily it's under control now but you know it's 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 you know and that was right before the pandemic too so then i then the pandemic started i was realizing oh this wasn't a one-time thing this is happening a lot i need to figure this oh, out man um, and it, it, it's, it's like, we all have our own struggles that we gotta, we gotta work through then on top of everything we've just been talking about with like how to deal with careers with, uh, with music and being creative. And then you got to throw everything that's wrong with your brain on top of it. And how can you best, you know, minimize that or find healthy <laughs> habits like, like you have, uh, to be able to focus on the things that you enjoy about life. And, um, it's, everyone has their own struggles and it's difficult, but like, um, you know, once again, it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Like there are things that you can do to make things better. And, um, you don't want to hurt the people around you. You certainly don't want to hurt yourself. Um, and, and it's, it's hard to get through those things, but you know, there are, there are always, um, things that can, that can make it better. Um, but it's never an easy thing, right? Like it's never just like, Oh, do this one thing and you're going to be totally great. Like, no, it's a, it's a series of, of things that you have to figure out and keep tweaking and every day is different too. So it's like, and that's another thing too, is that like you mentioned, like, you know, like talking to people is difficult, but you realize that like, you know, your friends, you're not, even if you do lash out at your friends and you've, you're having a bad mental health day, it's like, they're going to forgive yeah. you. Like they love you. And so, you know, if you have, if you have a bad night or whatever, it's not, they're going to understand if you talk to them about mm -hmm. it and you say like, Hey, I'm like, I was just having a panic attack and I lashed out because you were the nearest yeah. thing that, you know, it's like people will mostly be forgiving. And that's something that like my anxiety will give me a panic attack. Right. But my depression will tell me never to fucking speak yep. to those people ever again, because you're banned. Like, but that's not the case. Most people would understand that. Like, 
you know, you had a bad night or whatever, and they still love yeah. you as a person. And so you do have to talk. Or else to you have the wrong friends it. if they don't. You yeah, know, or, yeah, yeah. Then they're pieces yeah, of shit. And get rid like, of them anyway. But <laughs> you know, it's like they should be able to understand because everyone goes through their own stuff. I mean, obviously different severity levels, but you know, if you can't have a bad day, I mean, are we even human at that point? You know. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, the, the ups and the ups and downs, I feel like creative people, especially like you just tend to feel things more. So like, you know, the, the lows are low, the highs are high. Maybe they call that bipolar or whatever, but like, it's like, that also makes you really experience something that's different from other people. It's not a bad thing. It helps you grow. You just have to learn how to, yeah, it helps you, it helps you grow. And I think those are the people too, that tend to be the most creative or like the most successful over the long term because you're able to come from that low low then you're going to be so much better mm-hmm. if you learn from that you know you can't have uh, peaks so, without troughs right like yeah you need that contrast yeah absolutely and, and or else life that's would be another boring, thing too more miserable yeah i would i would hate to not experience life in the way that like i do emotionally sometimes mm-hmm. like it's, okay the lows are really <laughs> low but the the highs are really high and so it's like it I wouldn't want to change Mm -hmm. that. You know, I just want to learn how to deal with that. And I think, you know, especially like I, I I haven't been uh, like diagnosed with like a bipolar two, but it sounds pretty familiar. Like, which is just like, you know, you're in extremes of, of moods and I technically have just like regular depression Mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. I have GAD as they call it. Yeah. General. Yeah. Generalizing. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. So, but like bipolar too, to me, sounds like just a creative type B person living their life, like which is like you know you you have mood swings, but like you're you just feel stuff a lot essentially, and so it's like I don't I, my my thing is like I don't want to nerf those highs and lows. What I want to do is learn how to operate within them better. And so, like you said before, like you you burn candles at both ends, and you know maybe you sacrifice your health. And what I've realized is that. On the highs, that feels good to do, but then it worsens the lows, right? 100%. So, like finding that strategy, finding that strategy to cope is is really important because you can then sustain those high points even longer. I think. Yeah. You know, I, I've been. I'd imagine that's thing is true, too, but I have no idea because I haven't been there. Yet. <laughs> it, it's all. It's also hard to tell when you are yeah, there sure. because yeah. you know, you know, what you're, when you're standing in the middle of the picture, you can't see what the big picture what the big picture is. And so you, you don't always know, like, what is it? Wow. What show is that? Uh, it's the office where he's like, I wish somebody told me like we were in the, we were in the good days, mm-hmm. right? Like what, like this is, these are the good days. And it's, I wish somebody told me. And so you don't really realize, you know, th- when you're at the high points because you're just operating at a certain level. And I think meditation for me also has kind of given me that trigger to realize like in the moment, Oh, I'm maybe like, I'm energized by this certain thing, but if I keep going this route, I'm going to burn myself yeah. out and I'm going to end up crashing hard. And that, so it's, uh, it's really important to be aware too, because you could use that to your advantage. Mm-hmm. It's like you can sustain the momentum and maybe you could prevent the the lows from being as, as low. I'm curious, what are some of like the sources you would recommend for getting into meditation? Cause everything I've ever tried, it's always hard to actually just like clear my my mind is always racing at like a million miles per hour and it's that's always been my struggle with meditation is not being able to and i used to have really bad insomnia too because of it and i think part of maybe why i work so hard on things sometimes is because it helped 
it helped a lot. Like in grad school, like my insomnia almost disappeared just because I was so exhausted all the time. Like there's, you know, yeah. um, but with meditation, that seems like a way healthier way of dealing with, you know, mind racing type stuff. Um, I'm just kind of curious well, what, what, what sort of things you'd recommend. So, uh, my favorite app that, that really got me to change Cause I used to try and use like headspace and calm mm-hmm. and like, it was whatever it gets you to sit down and breathe and focus on breathing for a little bit. But my favorite app that ch- kind of like changed the game for me was uh, an app called waking up by this uh, neuroscientist, Sam Harris. Yeah, type and, that uh, down right now. Yeah. Waking up is great. Um, I recommend it to everybody who's serious about uh, meditation, but it's kind of at that point where they're like, they don't really understand it or they don't, they think that, you know, they're doing it poorly or whatever, because um, meditation isn't about like clearing your head of things. It's about being aware of what's happening. So it's not like the end game isn't to reduce thoughts. It's to be conscious of thoughts. And the first thing in this uh, introductory course in waking waking up, you spend like two weeks or so um, just kind of paying attention to breathing to train your focus. And then the next step is seeing where thoughts come from, which is like kind of like esoteric right but then you realize your brain is just always in overdrive you're mm-hmm. always th- like if you just try to sit down and think you're gonna or not think you're gonna automatically have thoughts it's actually impossible i've tried it many think. times it is yeah like, just imagine a void of nothing it's not possible it's yeah. not it's not possible and so the goal of meditation is really not to like enter that void eventually you can get there Mm -hmm. and it's uh it's an experience that's uh, kind of amazing and you kind of learn how to uh you know trigger this but um it's not the end game Mm -hmm. the end game is just cultivating awareness and so that's step one and then you know eventually you get to a point where you can sit down and you can enter a meditative state by just kind of like uh you know uh triggering i don't i want to be careful about how i put this because it's like there's a there's a buddhist uh term that's called nothingness essentially Mm -hmm. that's the that's the term for it but it's it's not nothingness it's everything it's uh your immediate connection with everything that exists in this moment it's the present moment Mm -hmm. and so their term for it is kind of morbid sounding but it's actually everything and that's the space in which your brain just experiences experience uh you're just aware of things and so it's almost the difference of like being of like watching a movie on the screen and being in the movie. And that's kind of what you're training eventually in meditation. That's fascinating to just, to just be in this present moment. And it's really difficult and people don't see the value in meditation because they're like, Oh, I'm just fucking sitting like, but it's actually really important because if you learn to meditate, anything can become a meditation. And so you like people find this with like archery and stuff where it's like they get in a flow and for me, it's driving. Yeah. And you can actually, a lot of people will experience this naturally with the sunset where your brain automatically goes into the present moment because it's, it's such a surreal Mm. thing to look at that it just shuts off this, this constant overdrive and thinking about the past and the future and you go in, into the present moment. And that's what you're trying to cultivate with meditation is the ability, like a light switch, to just say, I'm no longer past and present focused. I'm now, or past and future focused. I'm now present focused. And that's what you're cultivating through meditation. See, I, and it's really difficult, but it's it's amazing. It could, it could change your experience fundamentally in everything that you do. So I uh, highly recommend. I, I, highly I, recommend. That's, that's so interesting to me because like that last – 
bit of it totally made sense to me in terms of like sunsets and things like that. And like with, with, with science stuff. And one of the things that got me into science now I'm realizing was because of those present mind states. Like when you look at night at stars and planets and sunsets, and also this one moment once where I was flying, uh, flying East, you know how like your transatlantic flights are always at night and usually I like to sleep on those, but one time I didn't cause I'm an idiot. And when you're flying east and you see the sun coming up while you're flying into it and you actually get a feel for the Earth's rotation, it's it's a pretty surreal thing to see. Also, the solar eclipse that happened a few years ago, that was probably the biggest one. And it, yeah. it is it is I, I see now like I never obviously I didn't really understand meditation when I when I asked you about it. Um, and now that you've kind of painted those examples, I know what that state of mind feels like. And the ability to trigger that sounds pretty, um, pretty useful to be able to be focused <laughs> on the present um, in, in that way. Yeah, you've really inspired me to, to, to get into that because that does sound very healthy. Um, oh, good. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll definitely I, be taking I, a, a lot of people. A lot of people don't get that either. They're like, why would I want to do that when I could just like, you know, I could just look at a sunset, but it, it impacts everything that you do and everything can become like this magical experience because it is a fucking magical yeah, experience dude. for you to be alive, right? It like, it's like, and so, you know, they talk about like Buddhist monks who achieve enlightenment. They're just always in that state. That's incredible. And that's they're, But I mean, I can't do that. Like I'll experience, I'll experience nothingness if I sit down for 20 minutes every day and maybe like, maybe like two or three times I'll, I'll be able to sustain it for longer than a, a second. And <laughs> I, I wonder if anybody in, in like into Buddhism is going to be mad about this because they're <laughs> often mad at Sam Harris because uh, this specific type of, of uh, Buddhist practice is like they get to a certain point, but a lot of people like underestimate or like they, they think that it's bad for people to get into meditation with that descriptor, because then they're like, you might undervalue it, mm. right? Where it's like, oh, you could just be present. And like people who practice this specific type are like, we shouldn't tell anybody they should figure it out on their own because then the experience is so much different. It's, um, you know, it's not, you're not imposing any biases or anything with it. And so, which is somewhat fair, um, but if I, it's helping people at the same time, right. Yeah, that's my, yeah. that's my idea too. Like, it's like to, the more people yeah. I could get their foot in the door, then maybe they'll get to that point. And it's not like it's an easy fucking thing either. Right, it's like, right. first you have to learn how to focus and then you have to learn how to be aware of your thoughts and your surroundings and your sensory experience. And then you have to find what that moment feels like so that you can trigger it over and over and over and over again. It's called the, I think the term for it is like glimpsing at first hmm. where, um, you kind of realize that you're in the present moment and you're like, Oh, this is, this is what that fucking feels like without my brain being on overdrive, but it's like a flash and you, it's almost impossible to recognize unless they have like certain things that like, uh, you know, will trigger this experience for you. It's like it's in waking up, he'll keep saying, look for the one who is looking, right. It's like, which is a ridiculous fucking thing to tell somebody. Right. And you're like, where do thoughts come from? And then eventually you find this moment that's like, oh, they're not coming from anywhere. They're just popping into existence. And the one who is looking is really everything. It's like everything. You're this present moment. And so finding that particular moment is really difficult to do. 
and it takes a lot of training. And I, it maybe took me like a year and a half of doing the daily meditations on the app before I was like, oh, I, I just missed it. I saw it. I saw it and I'm there. And then now after maybe like three years of doing it, I'm like, I can get there like pretty regularly. That's and great. it's really useful because everything changes at that point. And you kind of realize how fucking fucked up your experience is day to day that you get so taken away from this that every moment is this fucking magical thing that you can revisit. But your brain is just on overdrive, worried about everything. I wonder how many people are <laughs> capable of committing to something like that these days, you know? Like it's a hard thing yeah. to to commit to taking the time to to do anything consistently um, with everything it's, going. It's like on, anything yeah. else, though. It's like you know, and it it's more. It's actually better that you do it for like five minutes a day every day mm-hmm. than you know really set aside an hour. Yeah. Some people will disagree with me because some people like I don't know if you listen to uh, Naval, Mm-mm. who's like uh, he's a great thinker of our time. Hangs out with like Tim Ferriss. Oh, okay. Tweets a bunch of stuff. Very interesting guy. Uh, but his take on meditation is like to sit with your thoughts in silence until you've run through them all, which I think is a useful way of like kind of getting there, but not everybody has the, like I'm super anxious. And if I did that, I would, it would take me years to sit every day for hours until my brain is done Um, or not done, but like kind of subsides where that's a different approach and you're kind of muscling through it. But I think being able to learn how to meditate and just doing it for like five minutes every day is more impactful. Um, in my opinion. And that's kind of how I do it, where it's like, I've learned how to meditate. And now whatever chance I get, even if it's two minutes, Mm -hmm. that's better than no minutes. Yeah. And it's the same thing for a lot of things. You know, if you get in the gym every day for a half an hour, that's better than going to the gym three times a week for three hours. It even relates to what we were talking about with social media. Like posting one story is better than posting no stories because it'll do something. I also wonder though, I mean, and like, again, my PhD is in chemical physics, not psychology or anything like this. So this is pure speculation. But I'm curious if <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 wondering if that's one of the reasons why exercise does help with anxiety, um, because of the fact that when you're exercising, your mind kind of just just goes through its motions, and you're more just focused yeah. on on one step after the next. And, um, it seems like it does kind of put you in that sort of present mind state. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that's one of the reasons why it's, why it's healthy. Um, so there's, there's a couple different types of meditation. Uh, I mean, actually there's a lot, but, uh, the two in my mind, um, like, uh, there's transcendental meditation, mm -hmm. which a lot of creatives love, but it's more focused on like, kind of like, like you said, like the experience of exercise is like your, your brain is kind of elsewhere mm-hmm. and like you're, it's a little bit different than, uh, like Dzogchen Buddhism is the one that, uh, waking up is about. And that's about like kind of recognizing the present moment and being in it. Whereas like transcendental meditation seems to be like escaping to the present moment Interesting. and you're not, you're not really aware. You're not purpose purposefully finding awareness, you're actually disregarding awareness. And so it becomes, I think it's a different part of your brain Mm. and I think it is useful. Um, but people who are practicing these will actually tell you do one or the other because you can't get good at both, Hmm. uh, at the same time simultaneously, which is super interesting. And I have no background in, uh, 
in you know neuroscience or anything but i find that super That's fascinating yeah. super strange and actually like i i guess it makes sense right you're training a muscle in your mm-hmm. brain that you know i think transcendental meditation is very similar to exercise where it's like you're just going through these kind of motions and you're letting your brain wander off so i think it's probably similar it probably operates on the same mechanisms i don't know yeah super interesting we have so much to learn about the human brain, man. I mean, it's like, <laughs> oh my god, don't get me started. Uh, Sam Harris's wife Annika did this. Uh, Annika, uh, this bu- no, sorry. Anna- Annika, Annika, Annika. No, that's nice. I'm sorry, I've been watching too much Star Wars, and yeah. So Annika Harris wrote, and now I'm just stuck on Star on Star Wars. But and we've been talking about meditation. I've just been like, yeah, Jedi. Well, maybe that's maybe they were just really good at, at meditation, and they're like, you know, they were able to project that in yeah, other people. Yeah. Who knows? But she wrote a she wrote a book on uh, on consciousness uh, and like panpsychism, which is like that maybe everything is conscious on some level, right? Like even on a molecular level, maybe there's an experience for that atom that there is like to have. Let's go into quantum mechanics. Um, I'm ready. So uh, very, very <laughs> surface level for me and you're going to school me, but I, th- I'm sure that sounds ridiculous on some points, but the more I think about it, it's like actually super interesting, but, um, consciousness, the, like the hard problem of consciousness for me is like, why are we not focusing on a, all, like all of our efforts on this? Because like, we're the, to our knowledge, we're the, uh, we're the only conscious things in the universe. So like, shouldn't we like be figuring that out? And so, uh, I find it super interesting that we haven't. It's and I mean, I I could talk about this for a while, Uh, as as we've been (laughs) saying like every two minutes because we've just been covering everything. (laughs) But like, um, yeah, we the problem is consciousness isn't well defined, Mm. right? And in science, you always want things to be well defined. But that, that's such a that's such a tricky thing it because is. like I don't think you can define consciousness unless oh I don't think you can because you don't know what it's like as a conscious you human. only know what your you own experience yeah, is, right yeah so it's a catch twenty two but you know it's like when people you know like to throw mm. these loose things around like everything is connected it's like well it is you know I mean like we're all made up of the same stuff like we're all participating in this universe or multiverse if it is a multiverse whatever um and it's it's along the unlike my alias would would suggest as, maybe it yeah is a multiverse. well maybe there is <laughs> I mean your alias suggests that there is something um t- in contrast to it right there is the anti-monoverse if you will (laughs) um but no i mean like it's it's in the sense that like it's all you know um what am i trying to say i've been talking for like two and a half hours so it's like this has been good i mean we're touching on the we're touching on the juicy (laughs) stuff now no no i don't apologize this is great um, it's going to turn into a six hour podcast yeah, us right. bullshitting about stuff that we know. Well, you know something about, I know nothing we're about in the, <laughs> we're in the speculative part of things because it's like with, with quantum mechanics, for instance, it's like the observe, like the observation of things has the final say in a measurement. Cause like things can be in what's called a superposition state. And then once you make a measurement, it collapses as it's called into one specific thing. So like a particle could be like delocalized like a wave. Um, So it's like, it's like if you remember your bell curves from grade school where there's like a Gaussian distribution, it's like, it's most probable that the 
particle is here. But until you make the measurement, you don't know if it's here or here or here or whatever. Um, an observation is made like it's not just like I'm looking at it. You know, you can make a measurement with like a laser or like a detector. It's just like it's the act of like forcing this thing to be in one location that collapses it. And if you make a statistical distribution, that's how you get the the Gaussian shape. But it always it always kind of goes into this philosophical question of like what is an observation and and you know why do things behave a certain way until they are observed, right? And it leads to a lot of pseudoscience, but there is something genuinely um, intriguing about that. And it does bring up questions about what consciousness is. And like, maybe, I mean, there's, there's a poetic phrase I've heard before where it's like, we're the way that the universe is observing itself more or less, yep. you know? And I do I like that. that. Yeah. I love it too. There are other people who would just say we're a bug in the simulation. Um, but <laughs> like, you know, I think either way, you know, it's not, you can't prove or disprove either one, but I do love the idea that we are like the way of the universe observing itself. Cause otherwise if we are the only, well, or alien, the aliens that are out there too, any sort of sentient being, um, if we're the only things that are properly conscious, um, then, you know, what is the purpose of it? You know, like what, like it, is the universe like this one living, breathing thing? You know, in a way it is because it's doing its own thing. Entropy is always increasing, et cetera. Um, yeah, it's just, it's it's fun. It's fun stuff to think about, you know. I, like problematic to, to quantify because it's like, oh, yeah. like, like we said, your experience is your experience and mine is mine. And how do we know? Like we, I was having this great chat with people about artificial intelligence where like, where do you draw the line on? Like, when does it have sentience and what is that like for that? We're a long and way off that's from a, that. Yeah, I don't oh, care yeah, what the I Google know. thing says, like as someone who works <laughs> with machine learning every, like a lot, because yeah, if you've used isotope products, you know, we use a healthy amount of artificial intelligence well, or machine learning neural nets, whatever you want to call it. And, um, it's an interesting conversation in terms of where do you define something as sentient, like to use a Turing test or, or, or stuff right. like that. Um, sorry, I'll let you, I, I want to talk about this too, but I'll let you, I've interrupted you because this is just well, great stuff. Let me, let me think. Cause like for me, it's like, I don't think the definition is so important as, as like that anything is having. And that's kind of like, that's kind of what the uh, panpsychism theory kind of like change for me is like maybe it's just possible for like this thing to have an experience even though we we know nothing about it and so you know like where do you define consciousness and i i, I just don't think that that's important i don't think it's going to matter to how we replicate it like where where i define consciousness is going to be different from everybody mm -hmm. else's and therefore i don't think it really matters like because we're going to get to a point like a certain point where it, we are hopefully going to be able to develop sentience in, in something. And therefore it doesn't really matter because that thing is having an experience like at all. Yeah, I mean, like, so, uh, you know, I think it's more important that we just do the thing and we just continually improve, you know, artificial intelligence and maybe not worry about like 
robots taking define? over the world. Right. Cause like you said, we're, we're ways off and I don't think that there's going to be like, I mean, I'm, maybe I'm just naive and like robots will take over the world, but I just don't, I don't think that's a possibility like that's strong. I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, I I think uh, if they maybe do, we're just so far off that I'm just not threatened by that, right? Well, that it's, it's also like, like if we do, maybe that's our role in the universe that we created <laughs> ultimate, yeah. like superior beings, and that's stealing out and of that, science fiction. I mean, that's not a it, new idea, but like, I mean, it at the end of the day, like it always blows my mind that it's all subatomic particles that on a large scale right. end up making craziness, right? <laughs> and like, and also, who's to say? Like you were saying with um, Anakin Skywalker, sorry, Annika <laughs> Harris, that um, that like maybe there's some form of of sentience within atoms and molecules. Like who's to say it's all operating under the same set of rules that we yeah. are? And also who's to say that we're like, what are we considered? Like, why is a dog or a cat less sentient or less conscious than we are just because they act in simpler ways so does that mean that a cat compared to an ant is the way that we're thinking about things and this is how i always end up thinking about free will and fate Mm. and i've con i've constantly been moving closer and closer to the fact that everything is we don't actually have any choices. We just have an illusion of choice. Like you're, you're going to love waking up. Actually, there's a whole yeah. section of the app dedicated to free will. He's actually written a great book about it as well. That changed my perspective on free mm-hmm. will. Cause I used to think that I haven't, and I've kind of realized that I don't, um, it's okay to still have that impression. Like I want to yeah. think that I'm making decisions and obviously like you can't just like sit on the couch all day playing video games and being like, well, I guess it was just meant to be like, you know, like you should still take control of your life. It just is probably true that it was always inevitable that you were going to make those decisions in the first place, but that yeah. doesn't matter. You can still like be part of the illusion, you know, like make your decisions. Um, you know, for, for, for me, it's actually more, more useful to think of other people uh, mm-hmm. like realizing that they didn't have uh, yeah, you know, say point. in whatever that they did, because like I, my experience is my experience. And it doesn't really matter. But my my reaction to those experiences, depending on, upon like what I think are, are is going on in other people's heads or whatever. Yeah. So you realize yeah. that, like, you know, free will is an illusion, probably. And therefore, the things that these people are doing to me are not or I shouldn't even say that that's a negative connotation, but the things that are happening for other people are, are not, they're just a certain set of circumstances Initial and parameters yeah, that went into exactly. the equation. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes it's not garbage in, garbage out, you know, garbage in, garbage out where yeah. it's like, you know, bad things happen. But, you know, I, I think it's helpful to realize that like things are not in your control and that kind of goes into like stoicism too, which I'm really big on kind of goes into, uh, you know, Zen Buddhism as well. They're synergistic in a way philosophies. Um, but like stoics are all about like the locus of control. Like what, Mm -hmm. what should I be offended by or what should I put my energy to? And you, they teach you to focus that like focus on what's important, which is what's within your control and everything Mm -hmm. else that's external is like, just either ignore or don't put any like energy into essentially. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to do that these days yeah. too, with like the 24 hour news cycle and social media and all of that stuff. But I mean that, and also with what, I mean, 
bringing it back to like being envious of other artists and things like that. It's like, do you have control over their career or do you have control over your own? Right. Right. And like, so what, what are the things that you can control, whether it was predetermined or not, who cares? Like you still on this macroscopic level, like you do have control, right? Yeah. Um, even if it is an illusion, you still have it. You can still make those decisions. It's, they seem like conflicting ideas, but they're not. It's like, you know, but either way, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that sounds very cool. Uh, I'll have to look into that as well, because it is sort of all about this sort of influence of, of control. It's like what, you know, gravitational fields are like, it's like, we are controlled by the sun. The moon is controlled by us, but they're also all interconnected at the same time. Um, you know, and eventually it gets far out enough that it's not as much effect, but it's still there. But it's it's not real. Like if the sun just disappeared, um, yeah, some shit's going to happen, but it's going to be mostly within like our solar system that it happens. Like that's the sun's sphere of influence. And yeah, maybe some astronomer is going to be listening to this that knows better than me. Oh, well, the Milky Way is also going to adjust <laughs> in this way. But it's like, yeah, OK, but you know what I mean? Um, I'm just trying to give a nice gravitational uh, field um, analogy and you're just picking it apart for no reason. <laughs> just, um, you know, it's funny because like I, I used to just shit on people who do who do like astrology, right? Like where it's Oh, like, I still do. But let's talk yeah, about this. But let's you know, get into it. I re- then realized I'm like probably on some level it does affect things, right? Like where oh, it does. Like the movement, you know, so I was talking to my buddy. And uh, we're we're big into like uh, crypto and we'll follow the market and whatever. And there's this uh, chick who does like uh, astrology crypto predictions. Uh, oh my god! Marin. and she's she like does like moon cycles and shit, and which is funny, moon cycles crypto. But uh, it's odd. <laughs> it's odd how how accurate she could be sometimes. And she'll like just call shit. Oh and we look back and we're god. like, yo, she was fucking right. And I'm like and then i'm realizing i'm like there probably is some level of like the moon impacting the our biological response and therefore our mood changes our moods change and that affects our our investments and our markets right it's like it sounds like in that case it's more of a coincidence but but yeah of course yeah (laughs) no no i get it it's like (laughs) the way that i always explain it to astrologers or just anyone who's willing to listen to me rant about this is that like, yes, everything has an effect on everything else, but there's a thing called negligibility, like something being negligible. And that's how most scientific models are created. Like if you want to solve like, okay, if a car is going this fast, you know, how long is it going to take to get from point A to B? Um, that's a bad example. The point is, if you want to take like a simple problem and you want to say, okay, now we have to calculate the whole universe in order to figure out how fast it's going to take me to drive my car from point A to point B, that is totally unsustainable. And you probably will get the same answer as if you just ignored everything but the car (laughs) and, you know, right. Or like you don't even consider the curvature of the earth if you're going you know, whatever the point I'm making, or if it's flat, you don't consider it at all. No, I'm kidding. But like the point I'm making is in, in science, you always make, or in mathematical models, at least you always make approximations of things that aren't really going to affect the result to like 
35 decimal points after the zero, right? Yeah. Like it for yeah. all means and purposes, it's negligible. And where the position of like, like the constellations are relative to earth is not going to have an effect on like your mood, you know, like, I mean, it might in some esoteric way, but like, like, Oh, I saw that constell, I saw Orion's belt tonight and it had me feeling also gushy inside. So <laughs> I bought Bitcoin, you know, I mean, maybe there is something well, to that, but like, know, my yeah. my perspective on this kind of changed when I realized like it was like I forget if it was like a full moon or whatever, but like and this is gonna sound so ridiculous, right? But I, I'm ready for like, it. Every, everybody I spoke to, like I had a really rough night sleeping, and everybody I spoke to was like, Yeah, I just couldn't sleep last night or whatever. And it was like whatever phase of the fucking moon we were at. Yeah, right. So it think about that. When my sleep gets destroyed then my mood is like I'm a little bit more anxious the next day or whatever, and maybe I, I, I know it's ridiculous, right? But I, th- in some way, this probably it probably does impact things at like one to two percent that my my choices that day are well, going to be different. So I wouldn't would I bet the house on moon cycles? No, but I I'm open to the idea of like it probably does affect my physiology. To the point where maybe some of those predictions are a little bit more accurate. Well, because I like- will say this. <laughs> I will say if any of the astrological or astrological, astro- <laughs> if any of the astronomical objects are going to affect us on like a personal level, it's probably going to be the moon. I right. mean, it's the closest one. It has an effect on the tides. Like it. That's what I mean. It's got to. Yeah, have, yeah, have yeah. Some and also, body, if it's a right? full it's moon. Like- there's more light coming in your window. Maybe that's yeah. keeping you from Maybe going to it. sleep. You know, I don't know. But like it, it, the amount of decisions that people make based off of astrology. Oh, like, yeah. No. I can't tell you how like, okay, how many times I've swiped left because someone has astrology. <laughs> in their profile. I'm just like, okay, because they're like swipe left if you're not a Capricorn or whatever. And I'm like, if that is your deciding factor for like who you get along with, like, that's just it just seems ex- like unreasonably exclusive you know yeah um yeah. and 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 it's like or or they'll just be my favorite thing to do is when i was just in toronto recently uh, and and i have so many friends that are into astrology it's not like i they're going to see I this conversation oh they're going to love it they're going to be like this is classic Corey. <laughs> um and like um they'll be like um you know you'll say something and, and it's just like oh yeah of course you're an aries um or like something they just use it as like a cop out and then so like, i started mercury is in gatorade today yeah mercury I'm is have in a gatorade. bad day yeah yeah <laughs> i mean and i actually didn't know what i had to ask one of my astrologist friends about what mercury and retrograde even means and it's apparently when it starts going the other direction because of the rotation and like that that just seems even sillier to me because it's like <laughs> it's not actually moving the other direction like it's just the rotation right? yeah, yeah so like and the revolution of of mercury um but you know i mean it's fun and, and the thing about astrology is it doesn't harm people as far yeah. as i know well, like and, and so like as long like, if you believe in astrology like fair enough like it's not it's not gonna hurt anyone um i'm okay with it like if you're an anti-vaxxer that could hurt right. some people potentially. So like, that's a little bit, I'm, you know, and I have friends that, that, that aren't vaccinated and stuff like that. I still love them to death, but like, I'm just trying to choose an example that isn't, you know, that does have consequences versus like astrology, which astrologists will disagree with me, but like, it doesn't 
it doesn't have consequences in my opinion. Well, I mean, it might depending on what, what level you apply it on. Right. It's like, maybe how do you, how does that affect your operation? It's like, if you're making major life decisions based on astrology, like that could be problematic. You might, I don't know, True. fuck up your kid's life because you were like, well, Mercury's in retrograde. So That's therefore, you know, whatever. So you're not allowed but, to go to school today. And that right, was the day exactly, where they or, taught them sex ed. And so they ended up having yeah, protected sex. And now the they possibilities have a pregnancy are kind of influenced. At, so yeah, I would okay. say there's, there's okay. zero, you know, it's a, everything it's a is connected. Chance that, everything yeah. is connected. So, but it's everything is relative. It's what's your, what's your risk tolerance, right? It's like, is that, you know, and like you said, the vaccine thing is, is something that has, you know, actual effects, quantifiable, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, impact. So, I, I, mean, I it, I just want to say how much I've loved this conversation. This whole we've like covered like <laughs> went from uh, like mental health to astrology real quick, and I'm real all, I'm, quick. I'm for it. I'm all about it. You know, like this is this has been really awesome. This is why this is why I, I picked you as one of our first guests because Thanks, I feel man. like we could we could get into it on so many different levels, and I'd love to you know revisit this and do another one down the road and like. You know, I would have watched this back and be like, okay, I gotta not go all over on these things. But, <laughs> but I know, I mean, like, I, I'm definitely more than happy to to come on again. And we don't we don't have to stop now or anything. I was just I was just reflecting on how much awesome stuff we've talked about and how nice it's I been to be it, able to talk about everything. And yeah, maybe it'll come off as a little bit like when we're watching this back and just being like, oh yeah, we went we went real quick to different times. But I think that's genuine in a way, you know, because that's, Mm. that's how conversations go. And it's like, we touch on one thing and it's like, Oh, we got to get into that more because that's a really interesting thing too. Oh, and that's really interesting. And that's really impactful too. And like, you know, I mean, it's, this is all stuff that I think, um, hopefully people find interesting because it's, I mean, we've covered a lot of ground and, um, just remember kids at the end of the day, we're just trying to tell you that astrology isn't real. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> that we got uh, whoever was going to subscribe to this thing is now out. Is now like, out. These guys yeah, are just like, preaching about yeah. astrology, but I think it is. I think there is value in talking about these things like openly because it's like what I mean, especially a podcast is so like different than like when do you ever go out and just talk to somebody one on one? We never would have gotten on these topics. If unless we were in this situation, pretty much, which is kind of why I started doing this thing because some of the most interesting people that I've ever met, I haven't been able to pick their brain about, mm-hmm. you know, theoretical physics and and consciousness and mental health. And it's true, you don't really want to bring that up at a party, do you? <laughs> <laughs> it can be fun. I used to do that all the time in college, and like my friends would just be like, "Corey, can you stop? Every time I come outside, you're talking about physics, and like no one cares." And, and I'm just it, like, "But I do." Oh my god, yeah, dude. It's but like, sometimes they do care. You want to have to be yeah. able to dig into these things, you know. And yeah. then you know, there have also been the scenarios where it's like, especially you get it with like music producers a lot, where it's like you'll see somebody out at the at the show or whatever, and you're like, "Oh, let's just go talk about music production for like two mm-hmm. hours," and then by the end of it. Your, both of your girlfriends are like, could you guys fucking get yeah. out into the world and stop yeah. talking to each other? You goddamn What's your fa- like, do you Would you rather use saturation or overdrive in this instance? <laughs> and like all, all this stuff. I mean, but you do learn from. Yeah. I mean, we haven't even talked about like 
technical production today, oh which God, is actually yeah. kind of a breath of fresh air. Yeah, um, and maybe, I wouldn't maybe, mind talking about it, but it's also just like it's 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 refreshing that we can talk for like almost three hours and we haven't even brought up an EQ or a compressor <laughs> or anything. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's nice. Well, here's here's the thing that I didn't want to bring you on and just grill you about that because like that is a shared interest of ours, but I don't yeah. think it's applicable to like you know, like, or I don't think it's always fun to just be like constantly in work mode. And so it's like, the, I didn't want to, we could definitely get into it and we could nerd out on that. But I think like, maybe we should do that on a separate yeah, yeah, podcast because it's like, I, I have so many questions and I, I'm not even prepared for that mentally to be like all these things I want to ask you about isotope products and, and audio I'd processing. I'd be more than happy to talk about it though. But like, yeah, I mean, we we're, can, we're we can already totally two hours it. and 40 yeah. minutes. In and yeah. we <laughs> no it. one's going to, yeah. It'd have to be like a follow up <laughs> episode. This is part two or three. And I'm thinking um, of ways like how do we incentivize people to get like involved? So maybe like maybe maybe that's like a pitch where it's like subscribe to our newsletter and you get this. If if you want to see that interview, then maybe you subscribe to the, join to the, the newsletter. Patreon join and, the Patreon or something. Uh, and you'll uh, see how how Corey reveals exactly how Isotope's machine learning technology works, <laughs> so that you can steal it all for yourself. Now, and that's a that's a very specific audience that. Like, yes. <laughs> like going back to the uh, going back to the uh, topic of like n- not everything is small talk, right? It's like this is something that we I've kind of had to get used to is that like I'm always disappointed when the conver- conversation is surface level because I'm like mm-hmm. why can't we just talk about these fucking super deep things, right? Like mental health and music production, and it's like oh, because ninety nine percent of people are just not disinterested by that, and they'd rather talk about sports or whatever. Like, and True crime. that's fine. That's yeah, true my, crime. My, my, yeah. Uh, that's my escape of. Uh, of oh my choice. god! You should talk to my girlfriend next time because does she, she listen was, to the last podcast on the left? Because uh, yes, I think she yeah. does. I get in the car and they're they're fucking. Then she'll go, understand. I'm like, how do you how do you sleep at night? Yeah, like, she'll <laughs> understand. She'll understand my Marcus Parks reference then about mental health. I mean, oh my I, god. last podcast on the left though, for, to be fair, is like as successful as it is for a reason because they throw comedy into the mix as well, yeah. and it's a little yeah. bit easier to take your true crime with the side of comedy because it's just. You know, some my I mom th- thinks it's terrible. She's like, "How can they like bring light on such terrible things?" And I'm like, "Cause it helps you learn, you know, oh, like yeah. to be able to swallow it, you know." Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's my favorite genre on like Netflix is what what's now called like dark comedy or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you can't not everything can be like 100 percent upside or 100 yeah. percent downside. It's like it makes it more palatable. Nothing actually, is black or white. Ever. Yeah, it's all gray area. And I think that's a problem in society in general right now is that no one understands how complicated and gray things are. It's mm. like, dude, politics is the worst. It's like you're either 100 percent on my side or 100 percent against me. I'm like, humans don't work like that. No. Like, it's not like, uh, you know, most people are in the middle somewhere, you know, um, I think that's such an important skill set to have to realize that, like, you know, you're not this one thing. You're this yeah. constantly changing thing, which Uh-oh. politics blows my mind. You dropped like, out for a second, but we're good. Oh, by the way, this is recording um, internally. So uh, oh, whatever, like when there's skips. Yeah, it just gives me it'll it'll upload the source files. And so any like lags on, on any, we I should have covered that beforehand. But uh, yeah, so don't, don't even worry about it. But uh you know, like politics like blows my mind because it's like you, people just play for one team and they just represent that one team. And it's like, you know, especially we have a two, two party system and you're either for me or against me. And it's like, that's why I was never interested yeah. in, in politics when I was younger. Cause it never made sense 
to me. Like, honestly, the sports for me, like I played hockey when I was younger, but I, I don't understand fanaticism for one oh, team, bro. right? It's like, and I get it. Go but dogs. I, I, like, I get it. Say. I get it. You're yeah, from this. <laughs> you get this. You're, you, you're from this one area and you support the local team, whatever. But it's like, if you're like, if your whole day is ruined because your fucking team lost or whatever, it's like, I'm a little concerned that that's not Bro, productive. <laughs> uh, this is something I've given up on because any of my Southern brethren will know that like SEC football is life. And, you know, I've, I've given the dogs my pitch, but like I wept like a baby when we won the national championship a few months ago because I've, I've literally been waiting and, and my, I, I am one of those people where my day will be ruined if Georgia loses a big football game. And, and uh, I know I know, no, no, so but it's fine you. because like I always sorry. talk about this, like, <laughs> especially like ex-girlfriends and people who like just didn't understand like why or just people here in Boston. I mean, like they think they like the Patriots, but like they don't understand uh, like uh, how fanatic we are in the Southeast <laughs> about college football is unseen anywhere in the world except Europe and South America with like their football, right? Like it's about as close as you can get in the States to like pure fanaticism, right? And, and, and you know, we've been talking about science and, and engineering and careers and music production. And like, obviously I know inside my brain, my day should not get ruined about something I have no control over and is just like a football game. It's like, it's a, it's a fucking game. Right. But my heart and my soul, like I would take, if, if the dogs were like a collective entity, I would take a bullet for it. You know, like it's that important, even though in wow. my mind, I know it 100% wow. shouldn't be, but like, you can't help it. It's just like how you were raised and going to school there, of course, didn't help much when it came to that, because I just got more ingrained in like this cult of the dog, which is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful mm. thing though. I will say like the, the, we're talking about people and politics and being so far apart and just like not, coming just thinking things through and seeing that everything is complicated it is a beautiful thing to see so many different people come together in camaraderie over a game it's incredible is what it is i mean yeah. that's the beautiful thing about sports however what i will say is like yeah we won the national championship been w waiting for that my whole life so glad i got to talk about the dogs on this podcast by the way because um but <laughs> but like once a day for like two weeks like i would just tear up random parts of the day like oh my god we won uh it, it's it's a crazy thing like how much that can affect your mood and it's like it's literally a game and in college football at that i mean these are 18 yeah. to 22 year old kids playing a game <laughs> i would I will say college football though, like it's like it's such a specific thing, and it's like it's not like the NFL where where everybody is like you know they're just super well trained, getting paid massive. lots of money. It's like these too. are like it's um, yeah, and it's a it's a more organic thing where it's like you go to a college football game and you go to an NFL game, yes. you're seeing two different leagues of play, right? And so it's it, for me, it's more interesting, and I can understand uh, like and the the level of camaraderie that I think you have with like something like that. Mm -hmm. It, it is different and it, I think it is beautiful because like, I mean, I'm from New Jersey. So like our sports teams are kind of divided in this area where it's like, I mean, I know people who are like, I'm a, I'm okay, a yeah. devil's fan. Right. And so Best goalie of like, all I'm from time, New Jersey, right? but like, I, yeah. yeah. Right. But it's like, I'm not like a fanatic over it. It's like, I would never go out in the street and fight somebody over the devils, but I do see, you know, like, kind of the level of camaraderie that comes from sports. And I think, you know, mm -hmm. humans are supposed to have that for sure. And like, 
I think sports especially is a good kind of solution where like it used to be like we yeah. used to go to church and now we're like more secular. And so we're missing this kind of like community that we used to have as humans. And I think sports yeah. are a, a pretty good filler for that just without the, you know, religion. And I think when do things do become like problematic, yes. it's like when people are violent hate over people. them. Right. But like, we shouldn't get to that level, but like, I get like, you know, supporting, you know, the local team and like going yeah. crazy for it. I love that. Just a little worried when it comes to anything. It's like, yes. why are we so fanatic uh, over? Because we treat it for, like sports example, and like we shouldn't. I mean, it, it, and yeah. I agree with you yeah, that yeah. we shouldn't like hate anyone or be violent over sports. However, that being said, if you are listening to this and you went to the University of Florida, you were an awful person and I hate you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just had to throw that in there. But no, I, I, I completely it. agree with you. The camaraderie is beautiful. But when it turns into something, you know, divisive is when it's bad. And and that's the thing about sports that's great yeah. about it being just a game is it's all fun and games at that point. Like I'll talk so much crap about yeah. Florida because they're our biggest rival or Georgia Tech who used to be a big, bigger rival of ours, but we beat them all the time. And sorry, like it's just boring now. But, um, <laughs> you know, like it's all in the name of fun. And it's cool because like when you move when I moved to Colorado yeah. and then Boston, um, it there is a level of camaraderie even in your rivals because you're so used to like in the Southeast, like having these, like um, these rivalries and like you hate them, whatever. But then when you're outside of the Southeast, it's, it's really nice to see someone you can talk shit to. And they have the same reaction where they're actually like happy to be able to participate in this kind of tradition of like hating on each other when we're not actually, I don't wish ill on you, you know, like I don't, I don't actually want something poor to happen to you. I just want your football team to lose, you know, like that's, that's it, you know, but when it comes to religion and politics, that's when it's actually like people are, you know, actually wishing ill on others. And it's like, yo, like, let's back up here for a second. Like we're all in this together, you know, like, yeah, we're going to disagree on things, you know, that's just, that's just human. But like, we should still like want people to have their best possible life, you know? Um, regardless of whether yeah. you think like, a blue or red on this issue, like I still don't have anything against you as a human, unless you have some, like if you think like all, you know, this is a terrible example, but like if you think like, you know, all people of a certain race are inferior or should die, then yeah. Okay. Maybe, maybe I don't wish the best for you because that's a pretty awful thing to think, but like, <laughs> that's my point is that everyone should just want the best for everyone. And sometimes, unfortunately that doesn't, doesn't happen. And you know, it's, it's sad. Yeah, it really is. Well, I think, I think another thing is, is like, we've learned to be tolerant of like people's other sports teams in a way where it's like, yeah, I'm not going to kill them over it, but I'm going to talk shit to them. But like certain ideologies, we, we were raised in a certain way where it's like, everybody else is wrong about this and therefore like, and you're threatening your own existence if you, unless you support this religion or this political party. And that's a dangerous thing that like we haven't learned to deal with because our parents have always told us like, don't talk about politics to anybody because they're wrong and you know, don't bring it up. What is it? Politics, religion and like children or how to raise children. Yeah. I don't don't remember the thing. Yeah. It's something like that. And that, I mean, those are the three major things I feel like we should learn how to fucking talk about with everybody. Like we should be able to come to dinner and be like, 
what's your parenting yeah. like and not be offended that like we have differences in parenting or religion. I'm going to go back to whatever to science I, because that's the whole point. Like I, when I debate with people, like you might think that I'm getting fired up and like, I, I, I I'm getting mad at you, but no, I just legitimately enjoy like having like intellectual debates. And I had this roommate in college who's yes. still one of my best yeah. friends this day. And we have a lot of disagreements in, in politics. We used to have, have more disagreements now, but I've, I've moved actually closer to him along the political spectrum in recent years but either way we still have disagreements but we talk about it and we're still great friends like we can disagree on things and still like educate each other and have these difficult conversations but like there is a way to have conversations and be able to it not to be fueled by emotion you know or or it can be fueled by emotion but like you should basically all i'm getting at after three hours is that I agree with you is that those are things that we should be able to have conversations about <laughs> in civil ways without getting at each other's throats. I mean, at some point you might have to agree to disagree. I mean, like, uh, you know, the, yeah. the abortion issue is the hot one right now. It always is hot in the U S. Um, but like, um, yep. you know, a lot of it goes down to religious views, and at that point, you're just going to have yeah. to accept that that's someone's religious view and there's not much you can do to convince them otherwise. Right. And sometimes it comes down to that. You're not going to find middle ground, but you don't necessarily have to hate that person because of it. I mean, I, that, I'm, yeah. that being said, I'm a male yeah. and like I probably shouldn't tell people when to hate people when it comes to their abortion views but you know like <laughs> it maybe was a bad example but you know yeah but uh, that's another uh, well i think i think that's another thing too is that we should be we should be able for everybody to come to the table and share their opinions on these kind, kinds of things and be able to say like okay i disagree with him but i don't right. hate him because of his views even no matter where he come from he comes from or what he is because it's like that's how like it's the scientific method it's like it's constantly yes. reevaluating where you are where you stand on things and how do we move forward and how do we how do we affect change and it's uh it's an ongoing process that a lot of mm-hmm. us aren't equipped to deal with because we just haven't had that moment where we actually start to discuss things we've just always understood it as like an argument yeah. and yeah. fuck that guy he's against me but it's actually it's so much more complex it than is. that and i think it's like I don't know. It's a, it's a skill set that I think we should all, you know, strive to develop because I feel like you and I could probably disagree on a lot of political stuff I, and we would still yeah, you see grow. value in that. That's and, how you grow. Well, I, I, I don't like, know if we yeah, like well, talking to people who have yeah. different, it's just boring. If you only talk to people who have the same opinions on everything as you like, then how are you ever going to like, you're never born with like all of the right information, you know, like, and I think it becomes harder as you yeah. get older to be able to yeah. change your mind about things. But like also when did it become such a bad thing to be able to change your mind on things like that always drives me crazy because it's like (laughs) you can learn and be better informed and be like, Oh, you know what? I was wrong about that. Now I think this now, and people are going to be like, Oh, you're just a flip flopper. It's like, no, I just learned what was inconsistent or incorrect about what I felt before. And now I'm a better person for it. Like, I I I mean, it's weird. The shit that I believed when I was 14, like is way different from what I, what I, think now and the thing is is we have to be understanding of that people are at a different point in their life and you know it's uh there has to be some kind of process by which like we can allow people to grow like you have to fail over and over and over again to become successful and that's with everything in life and it's the same thing with like developing mm-hmm. a world view 
you can't expect everybody to just be like cohesively, you know, on this one page. And some people do do things that they should be punished for or extremely apologetic for. But for the most case, it's like there's there needs to be a way for people to say I was wrong about something yep. and I've changed and now I'm better for it. And I think you see it with a lot of like, yep. you know, people who got like canceled or whatever. They're starting to like make their way back into things and people are starting to realize like, oh, they've changed. And, you know, and some people should be canceled. Yeah, if you committed forever, like a crime or like sexually abused someone, then like, yeah, you did right. something really bad and you can't recover from that. But if it's like a tweet. <laughs> you know, like it's like that from like right. seven years That's, ago. It's like if they've changed as a person and realized what they've done wrong, I think they should be able to like repent for that. Um, you know, definitely. And how many times have people like, and man, like I, I've worked in jobs where I've worked with like mm-hmm. older white people who were just like unapologetically racist. And then like 10 minutes or uh, 10 years later, like I've seen them again and been like, oh, they've changed. Oh, that's as a good. Person. I'm glad like, they've been able to do uh, that as an older it's, person. And it's, it's rare. It's not everybody. Some of them are still like racist, but you know, there's that mm-hmm. room for that, right? Where it's like, if they tweeted something 20 years ago and they're looking for a job now and like, you know, there's a, that person is now different and there has right. to be room for, you know, saying that was a certain time and place. And right. I mean, society that, right? is so. always developing too, you know, like there are things I watch now that I watched 10 to 15 years ago. And I'm like, Oh, that never would have flown like nowadays, you know? Oh yeah. That's, um, that's crazy. Right. And it's, it's wild to, to watch like movies from like the 1980s yeah. and you're like, wow, Dude, like, there's even a the, lot of racism. James here. Bond movies, like with Sean Connery and stuff. So sexist, <laughs> like so sexist. So sexist. Yeah. Um, still, so, there's some great moments in those films, actually. but yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's other parts oh, yeah. of it where you're just like, yikes. <laughs> like that was a, that was a different well, time. <laughs> and I think there's there's value in like yeah. showing people this and and saying like this was what we were like <laughs> and this is what people it might thought give you was more funny hope in because society they were just white that we people can and, get better, you know? Like, oh, yeah. okay, well, at least we're not that bad anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like I tell my brother all the time and like actually we're we're coming up on 3 hours so okay, like we're I'm, gonna, no I'm gonna try and yeah. wrap this, this up great, somehow. Though, by but I yeah, this has been amazing. I definitely want to do this again with you and like actually get mm. into production stuff. That'll be a whole fucking yep. three hour podcast on its own, I'm sure. But I, uh, so my, I tell my brother all the time, like he showed me uh, like Requiem for a Dream and uh, oh Kids when I was younger. Um, yeah, like two, I was like <laughs> young deep. at the time. I was like two, uh, two really yeah. fucked up <laughs> movies that, that completely changed how I operated in life because it was i i took it in with the like and i took the understanding that like like this was a certain time and place that in these movies and like i was able to learn from what these people did essentially in this movie that i think a lot of people would be like right. don't show your kids this ever because they're just fucked up movies but i was like maybe like 12 or 13 at the time of my brother was like oh, oh wow like screw it watch it and it changed how i saw a lot of people in new jersey we went through like a heroin epidemic here where like people got like really like their lives got fucked up from like uh prescription medicine essentially and like the opioid yeah the, the or opioid, before that yeah, or, yeah yeah that's exactly that's, what it was and i had like dabbled in it myself like with painkillers and i saw people move on to heroin and because i saw like requiem for a dream i was like nope hardline nope. can't do that i'm out nope. and just yeah. separated myself from it and so there is like value in like these things that like 
we think are awful, right? Like we think that all these, all this old racism that existed, like should just be like deleted or whatever. I'm like, no, like it should shows you how not to. Yeah. 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 It's a really interesting point of view. Um, Like you should be able to watch these things and know that that was horrible. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, Then again, there's things like, you know, there's exceptions. Like there's like reefer madness where you're just like, Oh my God, if I smoke weed once, (laughs) you know, I'm going to (laughs) die. You know, there's, there's room for, for interpretation, but like, I definitely agree that there's like, but that once again, that was an old thing and you see how, how things have changed over time. And it's like, if you see, I mean, that's why I think Roots was such a powerful oh my God, yeah. thing. You know, yeah. I mean, like that, 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 like, if that doesn't scare you into thinking racist or not scare you, but if that doesn't educate you on all the things that are wrong about racism or not all the things, but a lot of the things and why slavery was so awful, it's like, I don't know if there's much hope for you there <laughs> because that's a pretty damning interpretation. Yeah, um, it's, there's yeah. something to be said for like learning from these major issues right that like you know you you have to have some level of acceptance for the human race like even having done mm-hmm. these things whereas like i think germany is a great example of this like you you go there they're not hiding like you know everything that happened there and they've kind of learned as a society like no but if you god help you if you mention it um <laughs> I, i've spent a lot of time in yeah. germany well in berlin at least and um and it's like it's not something you want to bring up well, is that converse- they are ashamed? Well, that's of it. why. Don't get me right? wrong. They're yeah, ashamed yeah, of yeah. it. But They're like, ashamed of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like I guess that would that would be the same thing as if you came over to the U.S. and you were just like, let's talk about slavery and what happened to Native Americans. You'd be like, yeah, I don't really want to talk to you right now. <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah, like that's that's a really dark moment of our history. Like, let's please not talk about that. So I guess you're right. Yeah, it's like it's like let's just not go there you yeah, know like that, yeah. that we'd rather not um, <laughs> I mean, but you're you're absolutely right they've done a lot to try and make up for what happened yeah um and i, and think I do also appreciate it's a, that it's yeah. a little different too because like you go to southern america or like the southern states in america and like there's confederate flags and places and stuff and you're like oh yeah it's we shameful. haven't learned from that like what whereas like i feel like germany maybe collectively has has this shame that like uh, some Americans. Oh, it's one hundred percent true, man. Flying Confederate flags. I'm like, you guys fucking lost. Didn't and- learn anything. <laughs> haven't learned and, anything. I, and I grew up amongst it, and it actually like I didn't understand, uh, especially as a kid, like because I grew up in Georgia, and the Georgia flag was still a Confederate flag yeah. until I was like ten or eleven years old, and at that time, I like didn't understand, you know. Now I'm like, oh my god! I can't believe I grew up in a state that had a Confederate flag it's on wild. it. Like what? It's wild. But like, yeah, it, it is absolutely insane. I mean, it's like if Germany had a province that had like a swastika on the flag, like you would never see that. Yeah. Like it, it just, it's not okay to like show. Oh well, it wasn't about slavery. Okay, yeah, it was first of all, but second of all, it's like it's still a signal of oppression yeah. <laughs> i mean like I, I i don't know like i'm a southerner um i i love a lot of things about the south and my home but still showing confederate flags on things is something i'll i i will never understand um yeah. and there were a lot of people i went to high school with that like would have like confederate flag like stickers on their trucks and I mean, at the even, time i didn't even you know, even for me in new jersey we had we had that like we have people that i went crazy. to high school with that like would rep a confederate flag and i'm like how like think about how crazy that is that's crazy that's insane you're in new jersey 
Like, why is this? And we have like a certain section of New Jersey that's like also like it's like you know, like Trump County pretty much still right now. Yeah, like, most rural yeah, counties yeah. are going to be uh, Trump Trump and Central, which I'm, you know I'm I mean, tolerant of you know your political views and everything, but like if you're flying around a Confederate flag in 2022 in New Jersey, I'm a little confused, maybe. But anyway, that's like, a good way of putting it. It's <laughs> si- I, I'd say it's 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 silly. Yeah, I yeah. think is a politically correct way of saying like if you're flying a Confederate flag, like in. It's it's silly. Yeah. I, that's just you know that's just what I'm gonna say. Uh, and I think it, here's the thing that I kind of want to end on is like there's always opportunity to learn from this. And it's like if you're watching this and you do rep the Confederate flag, it's like I would just what like you to maybe like you know just like don't write me off as someone like fuck that guy. Like essentially, it's just like think about like why that might be a little bit of a silly thing, like you said. And uh, you know I think there's an opportunity to learn from these kind of things instead of just like deleting yeah. history. And saying like, oh, the, like ignoring these things, we have to face them head on and accept that they did happen. And you know, yeah, it's okay to depict these things. Like we were saying about learning from old times. And but but just to add on to that, you just kind of think about how a person of color would feel seeing that. You yeah. know, uh, it's a signal of, of of something else, or how uh, a Jewish person feels seeing a swastika. Yeah. Like it's things like that. What 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 symbol would make you upset? Just just think about that what's your equivalent of a confederate flag i have to say um, like you're you're for for a scientist you have a lot of empathy and i'm uh <laughs> oh, well thanks i try but i still have a lot of work to do don't and, we all uh, and, yeah that, that's that's true but man it's been and I, I think that was a great way to wrap it up and I, it's just been such a honor to yeah, be on here and a pleasure i've had such a great time dude. talking with you that three hours flew by and i i would love to be on at any other other point and i just wish you the most success uh thanks so much this dude. and all thanks your endeavors so and yeah. sorry i can't make it to the show in new um, york but i'll yeah. be there for the next one you know what i like you're there in spirit and uh i will know. definitely we'll and be- give give gill a big old hug for me please oh i definitely will yeah, yeah, yeah. he's crashing with me and uh, oh is so, he nice yeah, yeah. yeah and uh so i'm really looking forward to that so uh yeah dude definitely gonna do this again and uh for the music producers who i'm sure are gonna check this out and be like where's my you know where's where- my isotope talk <laughs> we'll have to I do want to know the secrets <laughs> we'll, we'll have to do one specifically about production maybe because uh i i feel like you and i ha- could talk about anything and everything and i didn't i didn't want to set a game plan but maybe next time we will uh yeah, I mean, tackle I'll, production stuff or maybe yeah. maybe i'll let you like we'll do like a private one just for because how many people are really in, that interested probably a lot of our fans but uh you know uh we we should definitely do one but i yeah, feel like that's yeah. gonna be another fucking four hours which uh will it will yeah and it'll be fun <laughs> but i think i think there's a lot to to learn from what we've talked about anyways hopefully i, so I mean from yeah. our our experience i mean i think everyone has the experience everyone has their own experiences and everyone can learn from other people's experiences yeah. so like hopefully that is something that people take away from from this and uh we will talk music production i'm sure at For some sure. point but and, uh, uh, before we yeah. end, let me uh, let me just see if there's anything you want to shout out, promote, push, what you're working on. Do it up. Yeah, thanks. Uh, just listen to my music, please. Check it out. <laughs> it's he Corey did. Goldsmith. Uh, you can just look up my name on Google or Spotify or Apple Music or whatever. I hope you like it. Um, and yeah, I have some show announcements coming up soon that will take place somewhere in Europe. I'm really excited about that. And there's more more to come 
Um, and so if you're in that area and you're listening to this, yeah, just all of Europe, you know, no, it'll, it'll, <laughs> it'll be something that has to do with ADE and I'm very nice. excited about it. So, oh, yeah, dude. um, yeah, keep an eye out for that and new tunes, et cetera. Um, and yeah, like, uh, yeah, any, anybody's paying attention to my journey. I appreciate you. And, and yeah, I, I hope that, that you like the tunes. That's that's pretty much all I got to say. Also, <laughs> check if you're a music producer, you know, try some Isotope plugins out. We got 10 day free trials on everything. So you don't have to buy it. You can try it out, see if you like it. And then if you do like it, you can um, maybe subsidize my salary. That's like the easiest sale, sale, though, because like the products are so great. Like you don't Thanks, even man. you don't have to even like tell anybody who's a music producer knows like you guys are killing it. Same Thanks, thing, man. same thing with your music, man. Just keep it up, keep doing what you're really doing. Really appreciate it. And uh, same goes to you, though, man. Thank you. Uh, thank always, you. always love the stuff you make. Appreciate it, dude. I got to make some more. I've been a little inactive. Want to do, same. you know, different things. And uh, but uh, I think this is an inspiring conversation. I'm definitely gonna same roll out same. some new tunes. All right, brother. Yeah. I appreciate right, it. Man. Thanks again, dude. Of course, of course. Thank you. Take care. <laughs>